0: Or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services.
2: A warmer up from really low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, the Bracketeer himself, Rocco Miller is going to be joining me. Does absolutely incredible work taking a look at the game that we love of college basketball. He's been seeing a lot of teams up close and in person, including watching the games out here in lovely Las Vegas the past few days. So we're going to ask him what he saw in the Creighton versus Arizona State game, get his thoughts on the Dons of San Francisco. They're close, but no cigar Game against New Mexico, what to make out of the Lobos as well. Also, going to be diving into the Chris Beard situation, teams in general that are pressing him, and get a little bit of a preview of UCLA versus Maryland with him in segment number two. In the final segment, I'll be giving you guys picks and analysis. Another game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at underscore 81 Keep in mind, letters here. Yeah. Amy, does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other way. That's finding an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Did not really get in any Twitter questions today, but we had some great action on Tuesday and a few games to polish up from Monday. So let's take a look back and try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. The games
3: from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap.
2: Really just two games. The polish up from Monday because Greg Peterson experience on Vison now midnight to 3 Eastern, 9 to midnight Pacific time. So I have to record this a little bit in advance. San Diego State, very impressive win over Kennesaw State, 88 to 54. The Owls, well, they may be wise, but it would have been wise to have not played this game. They lost the turnover battle 21 to 12. They lost the rebound battle 39 to 28. And for San Diego State, off the bench, Mike Parrish. 19 points, goes 8 of 13 from the floor. That was good for them. And then a game that we'll be talking about with Rocco Miller in a few minutes, New Mexico. They get it done against San Francisco by a count of 67 to 64. For the Dons, they just continue to struggle from three. 9 of 29 from three, despite the fact that they've got guys like Tyrell Ghost Roberts, Khalil Shabazz, Marcus Williams in the backcourt. For San Francisco, they lose the turnover rattle as well, 11 to 10. For New Mexico, just all about Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen House. Mashburn did a big layup late to be able to give the team the lead for good. A combined 40 points, 5 steals, and 9 rebounds out of those two for New Mexico team that they only go 3 of 11 from 3-point range, but they were able to do just enough they get the job done there. In terms of the games that we saw from Tuesday, we did see quite a bit of hoopla with George Washington being able to take down compensate by kind of 83 to 71, a rare under for compensate. As just a case in which the total was getting up very, very high. As Sam Sessions, he continues to be tremendous. 23 points. He went three of five from three-point range. Problem was James Bishop, the fourth. Couple with Brendan Adams combined for 48 points for George Washington with a combined nine rebounds in this game. And also had a double-double off the bench from Maximus Edwards. 16 points, 12 rebounds for a George Washington team that I like what I'm seeing on them. So they were able to get it done there. In the very early game, you saw the Lancers of Longwood get a win, but no cover against St. Francis. This by count of 63 to 57. But noticing a lot of unders in these early games as is Isaiah Wilkins, he was up for it. He was able to deliver for Longwood 22 points. But really, both of these teams had a tough time shooting. As for St. Francis, they go 5 of 24 from 3. And Longwood, they shoot 38% from the floor. And really, for Longwood, they didn't shoot it well from 2. From two point range, they went 11 of 36, and they went 8 of 13 from 3, which really makes no sense, and for Longwood, 20 turnovers. And it's a big reason why they were unable to cover that game. Very impressive win from NC State. I am starting to warm up on them more and more. 92 to 73, they pulverized Furman, as for NC State, they go 12 of 30 from 3. point range. Your Quavian Smith, 24 points, 3 steals, 5 assists, but Casey Marcel and Jack Clark. They combined for 32 points of their own. DJ Burns has been getting start with Dusan Marosic currently out of the fold, and he looked good. Seven points, five boards, and for Furman, 20 turnovers in this game that proved to be costly, and they lost the battle on the glass by a count of 40 to 39. Another team has been pretty darn impressive as well. That has been UNC Asheville as they get a win and cover against South Carolina State. A team has been. Not so impressive in South Carolina State, 94-84 the final. And Drew Pember, 16 points, 18 rebounds, 3 blocks. And then you had Dijon Jones go 8 of 10 from 3-point range. UNC Asheville has been one of the most profitable teams at all of college basketball thus far this season, and they show their might there. One of the least profitable teams at all of college basketball... They were able to rise up as you were able to get an outright win from Rhode Island. This was a one-point spread, so a close to pick em game. Rhode Island, they win by a count of 77-75. to 75. You had a late layup to be able to force this game into overtime. And then in the bonus section, Rhode Island, they were able to take hold as Ishmael Leggett 19 points, 7 boards. He did a very solid job in this game. And then for Rhode Island as a whole. They did a nice job being able to pound the glass. They were able to win the rebound battle. By a count of 43-40. to 40 Against a UMass Lowell team. which they went 5-13 of 13 from 3 point range. We'd probably like to see them take a few more 3's. But that said. They were fine on that front. Max Brooks 15 points 11 rebounds. But Rhode Island able to get some very good production. Off the bench from Jalen Carey. Who was able to deliver 11 points. So a good win for a Rhode Island team. which it's been a bad year for them. Anyone that had Fairley Dickinson, boy, it was the Dickens for this team as Fairly Dickinson got down 24-1 in this game. Richmond, 24 to 1 was what the lead was to begin the game. They win by kind of 78 to 48 as for Richmond. They're looking very solid right now. You had darn near everyone in terms of the roster of Richmond coming to this game as Tyler Burton had 12 points, signed rebounds. They didn't need him out there too much because. This game was completely out of reach very, very early on, and a game that it looked like it was going to be going the way of LSU in terms of cover did not. 67 to 57. NC Central able to get the cover against LSU as they were down 14 points at the half. NC Central was, but how they were able to hold in this game, they go 7 of 15 from three point range. Meanwhile, LSU. 4 of 25 from distance, and for NC Central, they overcame shooting just 2 of 8 at the free-throw line. Another gritty cover for NC Central. They've already got a cover against Marquette. They were able to hold in that game by 12. They were able to get a cover earlier in the year against Virginia as well, and for LSU, they won the rebound battle by a count of 45-31 to 31 as you had Derek Fountain deliver 17 points, 14 rebounds, KJ Williams 18 points, 12 boards, and LSU won the turnover battle, but they just weren't able to bury three, so that was tough for them. Many of you guys like myself might have had this one as Southern. They're able to get a very gritty cover going back to NC Central, by the way. Now 7-1 against the spread. That is tied for the fourth best cover rate in all of college basketball. So we'll give the kudos there. But for Xavier, they get the win, but don't cover against Southern by kind of 79 to 59. It looked like this one was gonna be lost in the abyss as Southern was down. 75 to 48 with three minutes remaining. But Southern, they were able to string together a run as they do just enough to be able to get it done, as yeah, Brian Whitney. Have a little bit of an ailment in this game, but he was able to deliver 17 points, and for the X-Men, 9 of 27 from three-point range and 19 turnovers compared to Southern's 20. Xavier wins the rebound battle by a count of 41 to 30, and Jack Nunge and Zach Fremantle combined for 15 rebounds, 28 points, so they did a solid job there, but nice gritty cover on that front. Things not going well for Texas Tech. They get the win, but it was a pretty ugly one against Eastern Washington. 77-70 to the final for Texas Tech. They go just 4 of 25 from three-point range. They do get Jalen Tyson back the fold. He only delivers 4 points, 5 rebounds. Kevin O'Banner was really the guy that was able to put on his show. 25 points, 10 rebounds, pair of steals, but for Eastern Washington, Stile Ventures took over the game with 26 points. That allowed Eastern Washington to be able to get to the cover, despite the fact that Eastern Washington lost the turnover battle by a count of 21-9. For the Citadel, they give up 100 to North Carolina. This feels very, very familiar. as North Carolina. They're able to get a win, and they're able to get one their first covers of the year by a count of 167. It has been a slog if you've been betting North Carolina, but... On this night, they were able to finally erupt from three. 15 of 31 from distance. Caleb Love goes for 17 points, 6 assists. Off the bench, you got 16 points out of Tyler Nickel as well. You had Armando Baycott deliver a double-double, 14 points, 11 rebounds, and for the Citadel, well. It's been a very, very Rough go of it for them. How about if we give a little bit of love to the Tommy St. Thomas with another nice win and cover 82 to 61. The final against the UW Green Bay team that objectively is not good. UW Green Bay actually shot above 50 percent from the floor in this game. They go 26 of 50. You had. He got to actually step up in Cade Meyer. He was able to have twenty-four points in this game. And for Cade Meyer, fifteen plus points so far the last five games. Perhaps there's a little bit of something for the freshman from Monroe, Wisconsin. But for St. Thomas, they go twelve of twenty-five from three point range, eighteen of twenty at the free throw line. They win their turnover battle by con thirteen to nine. They look like a team that can be quite competitive out there in the Summit Lake Conference. And for Houston, Win but no covers, seventy-four to forty-six a final. Houston has allowed more than fifty-six points just once this season. But what got NCANT to the cover, Cam Woods, 26 points. He goes three of eight from three point range. Houston, they were able to do a very solid job winning the rebound battle by kind of forty six to twenty six, but actually lost a turnover battle by kind of seventeen to fifteen. So for NC Central, nice little cover there. And if you're taking a look at trends in college basketball over the last seven days, it has been very fascinating because Overall for the season and it has been home underdogs that have been truly reigning supreme and we'll get to another home underdog that was able to win outright as well as you saw UNC Greensboro take down a much improved Marshall team by kind of seventy five to sixty seven as for Marshall they go just six of twenty six for three point range. UNC Greensboro buying Keyshawn Langley, who went 4-7 for 3. They go 10-24 to for distance. Langley was able to deliver 18 points. And double-double out of Baz Lite, who was able to give you 10 points, 10 rebounds for Marshall. Just the fact that Tavion Kinsey and Andrew Taylor had to do it all, 41 out of the team, 67 points. That doomed them a little bit. And if you take a look at home underdogs over the last seven days, a little bit profitable. 35-33-1 against the spread. It has been really about the home favorite. So 194 and 2 against the spread. They've been able to do a solid job as well. And we're noticing a little bit of an over-uptick. 136 overs to 127 unders the last seven days in college basketball. And if you look overall at the college basketball season, it's been a little bit more of an under-season, with just over 50 and a half percent of games going under the total, 822 unders to 801 overs and home underdogs, which I referenced a little bit earlier. 223, 184, and 7 against the spread. Meanwhile, home teams as a whole, they've been able to do a relatively solid job this season. Home teams against the spread 831, 782, and 26 against the spread, so that's what we're all seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we got from the college basketball board on Tuesday. I've got a few other West Coast games that I'll be polishing up on the podcast tomorrow, but coming up next, a man that saw some great West Coast action the past few days, that'd be our good friend, the Bracketeer, Rocco Miller. He's going to be talking about those game sex. We're also going to be discussing some of the teams that have been pressing in, we have to unfortunately dive into the Texas situation a little bit and also talk about UCLA versus Maryland. That's up next right here on Coast Guard Soups with myself, Greg Eves, here now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the
4: Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton, is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's really Creighton, you don't watch Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton.
0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
3: Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to
5: find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at sports.
2: We're back here in Las Vegas with Gus with myself, Greg Hughes pierce And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, it is great to be joined by our guests. It's Rocco Miller. Does absolutely amazing work. Take a look at the game of college basketball as he's a great bracketologist and analyst over there at his website, Bracketeer.org, which he does an amazing job keeping that fresh all throughout the season. But on top of that, he's done a great job just going all across the country, taking a look at so many of these college basketball games. He has a nice hand to play when it comes to a lot of these non-conference schedules that we see get built year in and year out as well, and just an indispensable part of everything that we do here in college basketball. He's a big part of the fabric of it. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Rocco Miller and the number eight all together. And Rocco, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
5: Hey Greg, always good to be on the show with you. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, Always good to be back in Vegas. You know, I think it's the first time here since the lovely March run of last year when I drug my wife out here for 16 days of a conference championship weekend and, and the first weekend of the tournament so it's probably better this time around to come in for a day or two and catch a couple games but yeah thanks again for having me
2: thank you for joining me and Rocco you were just out here in lovely Las Vegas on Monday taking in What we all got there is it was a solid win for Arizona State against Creighton. And then that New Mexico versus San Francisco game, that was a nice slobber knocker as well. What did you take out of the games that you saw out here in lovely Las Vegas? Because my biggest takeaways from those two games are well, Creighton really needs Ryan Kulkbrenner. And also that New Mexico, they are the real deal. And for San Francisco, a three-point loss to New Mexico, certainly not a bad showing from them either.
5: Just to start with, in chronological order, the first game, as you mentioned, was Creighton's loss to Arizona State. On the Creighton side, you know, clearly a team that doesn't have an identity without Brenner. They built some great momentum out in Maui. I had the opportunity last night to sit with the media members from uh, Creighton, their radio team, and talk to some of the staffers as well. Their take on the situation is... Kalkbrenner came down with the illness, actually, towards the end of the Maui trip, actually. So really didn't feel 100% in the championship loss to Arizona. Wasn't fully there in the losses to Texas and Nebraska. And of course, he's been out again in the both the Vegas games, both losses to five-game losing streak now after losing to BYU and Arizona State on Monday. So they don't really have the identity established. They've been trying to fill some of the void with Frederick King. You know, he's a freshman from the Bahamas, highly recruited kid. You know, I thought he stepped up big in the second half. He was a little disappointing in the first half. Ended up with a double-double. Last I checked, he had 14 and 10. I think he landed around there. For a guy with very little experience and 18 years old in in an important game like that, That's all you can ask for. I think some of the deeper issues for Creighton stem from the outside shooting. You know, but Baylor Shireman, of course, one of the best shooters you can find in the country. After him, if a defense locks him down, I'm not really that sold on Nemhard or Alexander or the rest of the gang so far on being able to consistently knock down the outside shot. I know Sharif Mitchell's a guy they're looking to get shots from. His shot looked a little off yesterday, not very good rotation on the ball, you know, seeing him up close. And same thing, you know, Mason Miller's a nice piece, Mike Miller's son, but he's still so raw and young, he can't really... Depend on him a ton this year. So it's really going to be interesting to see. Now, take it all with a grain of salt, because if they get Kalkbender here by the end of December, which they feel good about, they'll be a much different beast in the Big East. He's a matchup nightmare, maybe only second to Zach Eady nationally. Kudos to Arizona State. Quick thoughts on them are, I feel like the brother dynamic, the Cambridges playing together for the first time in college is a pretty great cohesion. Those guys have a lot of attitude and swag on the court. You yeah, know, yeah, Desmond Jr. was knocking down triples left and right last night. And every time down, he was like moonwalking on the way back after he made a three. I just think that kind of play gets the other guys going a little bit more. You know, Warren Washington's been an awesome defensive stopper. I feel like much improved from Nevada last year. I saw Nevada a lot last year. Of course, DJ Horn's going to get you buckets. And Frankie Collins, if you can keep his head in the game and and sharp, he's a real nice piece. So ASU all in on the transfer portal, paying off big time. So those are my thoughts on that game. And then from the San Francisco, New Mexico side, real bummer for the Dons, Greg. The Dons had the lead probably for over 35 minutes of the game. Once they took like a quick 11-10 lead early on, they actually built that up to 17-10. Never trailed again until about two minutes to go, and I think there was a few possessions they loved have back some missed free throws, throw the ball away, steal and a layup the other way. I think is the basket that gave New Mexico the eventual lead. You know, give New Mexico credit. I, you know, it wasn't pretty on their end by any means, but Jamal Ashburn Jr. I mean, what a closer! So much confidence in the final minutes, and those are the kind of teams I'm looking for, Greg. I don't know about you, when it's coming to who's going to be real tough in March or in these close games. We know in the Mountain West conference games for between the top eight or nine teams, they always come down to the end. It's a league where games are won on the margins. And I thought that was a really great experience for New Mexico to get to do that and get out of there with a win. They'll be confident again, going down the stretch next time around. They they won a game at St. Mary's in a similar way, not not too long ago as well. So this team 10 and 0 now, real good story brewing in the Mountain West. One of several good stories in the Mountain West. Good for them. And I think San Francisco, Ideally, they keep their heads up high because they do have a lot they can build off of. They played really, really well for 35 or so minutes. Just a few more things to clean up. They, they actually got to fly back here into Vegas on Saturday and take on one of the other undefeated teams, UNLV. So I know they got to get focused real quick.
2: Big game going up against UNLV. As yes. those of us out here in lovely Las Vegas, we're getting treated to some great basketballs joining me on the podcast. We do have Rocco Miller, and New Mexico certainly has been a very solid team thus far this year. I really like what I've seen out of them. And in terms of some of the more pleasant surprises in all of college basketball, for me, New Mexico, I don't know if I would put them number one, but they're certainly towards the top of my list. There's no question about it. Two of the teams that are towards the top of the AP poll in terms of Purdue and UConn. I'm sure that they're up there, but just in terms of teams that you've seen, because I know you've been traveling all across the country, have been some of the teams that you've been able to take a look at and you're like, man, they're a little bit better than I thought that they were going to be this year, and they've been able to emerge as nice surprises.
5: Yeah, I had the Indiana State Sycamores a, uh, a couple weeks ago when they beat Drake, and you know, I had some good feelings about them coming into the year, you know, and, and since the game I did, they lost at Southern Indiana in kind of a sloppy overtime loss, but Give Southern Indiana credit. They've beaten now Southern Illinois and Indiana State two Valley contenders at home. They actually get a really good student section and cra- a crowd rocking their brand new D1 school, sharing the city of Evansville with the University of Evansville. Sycamore's in that Drake game. And then also they went on to win at Southern Illinois. So despite the recent loss, they're sitting at 2-0 in the league in the very early driver's seat to try to win the regular season crown. Josh shirts their head coach, he built a a roster about nine or 10 deep. I design a bunch of guys that are unselfish. They want to score. They all have very athletic body types, capabilities, confidence. It's a battle of attrition in in the eyes of Coach Shirts. You know, the Drake game actually played out that way perfectly for them because by the end, they just had more bodies at the end, more fresh legs, despite Cooper Neese getting injured in that game and he's missed the last few games after that. And I was just really impressed with the model they have because they're the kind of roster and team that has shooters all over the court. They have tenacious guards that can drive to the hole. Like I'm really impressed with the way cam Henry plays down the stretch in games. He did it the other night too. They are subject to some injuries, which most Valley teams end up getting hurt because I think it's just such a physical league. I think they can withstand them, and they've already started to prove that. So I'm really high on this Indiana State team compared to where I was a month ago. I'm curious to see how much more road damage they can do, but I'm encouraged by the road win at SIU.
2: Yep, I thought that that was a big road win for them and both of those Indiana schools that you just mentioned, Southern Indiana and Indiana State I've really liked what I've seen out of them. And we've been seeing some great mid-major basketball. I know that over on your Twitter handle as well, because you do the mid-major top 25 poll with a field of 68 along with myself. You always post up your ballot. And I know you've done a great job. Take a look at a lot of those mid-major gems as well. And what has been just a gem is taking a look at them. But let's shift things over to really the biggest thing in college basketball is a little bit less of a gem and what we're going to be talking about right now the situation at Texas no fans or bust about it there's nothing else that you could say but hopefully any and all victims in the case are being treated well right now and that everything that is positive in the world is coming their way because that's just not a good situation to say the least. As a result, Chris Beard he has been suspended. We don't want to be saying anything that has happened that might not be, but their allegations are very, very bad. And if Chris Beard actually did a third of what is being alleged right now, it certainly should be yielding a very, very big punishment. But how do you take a look at the situation? Because right now, Ronnie Terry Someone that I'm sure that you know very well from his time at Fresno State at UTEP and someone that I thought was honestly yeah. a very solid D1 coach. He now has to take over. We're going to call it what it is, a mess of a situation right now with this Texas program.
5: It's a shocking one for sure. I think when we woke up Monday morning, you know, at least this is how I got it. I think the first thing I saw was it was breaking news within about 10 minutes of me waking up out here on the West Coast. So a pretty big surprise happened in the middle of the night and obviously don't want to speculate on what happened, but you're right. Like chances are, he's going to be away from the program for a substantial amount of time, if not the entire year, or who knows, even forever could be possible. So, with that said, the rest of the season is very interesting. You know, there's been examples in college basketball history, uh, like you think about Steve Fisher in 1989 with Michigan. That's obviously like the greatest example where he took over mid-season and took him to the national title. You know, most examples, it's just a kind of a gut punch. In this situation, I think I have. Maybe a little bit better read, just based on the fact that I've studied, you know, Coach Terry and Coach Ogden, who's also on the staff, who actually left UT Arlington to become one of the assistants with Coach Beard. You'll have Ogden and Terry probably co-running the program with the rest of the staff. It could be the rest of the year. I think that's the way to look at it from a forecast standpoint until we know more information. It's interesting because Terry and Beard and Ogden were pretty good mid-major coaches at their own right, but they weren't like you know, elite, right? They were just solid. Texas has elite athletes, elite talent, but they also in a very elite league. And in the Big Twelve, you know, I talk about margins all the time. These are some of the closest margins you'll find. If you have any kind of missing piece to your arsenal, and certainly Coach Beard's a huge part of them succeeding. You can go to Kansas State and instead of beating them by five, you might lose by fifteen, right? Oklahoma State, tough. Texas Tech obviously wants everything to do with Texas right now. They're going to have a really tough, real tough time, I think, navigating the league, regardless of their talent level. They're going to have a couple weeks of uneasy stomachs and trying to navigate the game last night. I mean, a very mediocre Rice team taking them to overtime. That's a really tough warning sign. Stanford and Louisiana are the next two teams on their schedule. Stanford very hungry after a disappointing start, probably licking their lips a little bit, knowing that they actually have a chance now. And Louisiana is one of the best you know I think I've got them twentieth in the mid major poll, so again, that's not a walk in the park, but I'm more concerned about the big twelve play as I mentioned. you know one thing I'll say about Chris Beard just when it comes to basketball, and again, I'm not trying to make any parallels with the incident, but he he is a mean and tough guy, and I think in some ways, as long as you're not crossing the line in coaching, that can get the maximum out of your players. I think players really buy into Coach Beard when they go to play for him. There are some exceptions. we saw Trey Mitchell fizzle out. The majority of the guys that go there, they know what they're signing up for. They're in there to work their butts off, get better, win a lot of games. And I think with him away from the program, I don't know that Terry and Ogden are the kinds of guys that are going to be the get into your skin, get under your skin kind of coaches. Chris Beard just got that extra level. Maybe it's multiple extra levels. When you lose that dynamic, you might see some of these guys start to drift away. You know, they won't they won't have that reinforcement. So, I'm very concerned about where they're heading based on everything I just said there.
2: Yeah, it's certainly just a mess of a situation right now for Texas, and I do think that Terry, Ogden, all the guys that are on that staff, because they do have a lot of guys that were former coaches, as we just mentioned. I do think that they're going to do their absolute best. I think that they're going to be able to keep things going very, very well for a program that has just an immense amount of talent, but this is just such an unprecedented and difficult situation that anyone thrusts it into it, I'm sure that they would have a tough time with it. And it's also going to be tough as well as taking a look and trying to prognosticate what we're going to get in the big matchup that we're going to be seeing on Wednesday. It's Rocco Miller is trying to be on the podcast as the biggest game that we're going to be seeing on this Wednesday, that would be UCLA and Maryland. With Maryland right now a one-point favorite. So they're saying that this is a very, very, very tough Close game out here in Las Vegas and I do not disagree, but how do you see this Maryland versus UCLA game? Because with UCLA, we all thought they would be at the top in the top twenty-five at this point. We thought that they would be a Pac-Twelve contender along with Arizona that has held the form thus far with Maryland. I'm not sure if you had high expectations for them, but I really did not, and I have been very pleasantly surprised with what I've seen out of them.
5: It's a super matchup for a lot of different reasons. Uh, So Maryland will start there. They're on a stretch of four really, really tough games. And this is the fourth piece to that puzzle. Started off great when they rallied and beat Illinois in the same building that they'll be playing in on Wednesday. A great home court advantage at the Xfinity Center. And I think that uh, Illinois pace will play a little bit more similar to UCLA. Because after that, Maryland went to Wisconsin and then played Tennessee on a neutral court in the Barclays Center. Couldn't get out of the 50s. They scored in the 50s both games. Those are two very defensive-minded teams. I think UCLA plays great defense, don't get me wrong. I do think they're a little bit more worthy, more like Illinois, where they're going to play a more flowing pace, a little bit more offensive-minded as well as defensive-minded. And so I think that's the kind of game flow you're going to get in this type of game. So Maryland coming off a brutal stretch. But again, those two losses in a row have got to have them really focused to try to get this W and get off the schneid. So they've got a little bit of both going on there. Like, are they hitting a wall, or is this going to wake them up? So that's kind of tough to guess at. You like them being at home, though. From UCLA standpoint, they're coming in much more rested. You know, they had a little bit of a up-and-down game with Oregon, but they kind of cruised into a nine-point win and then recently played Denver, not much of a competition for UCLA's level. Love what they're getting out of Jalen Clark. He's just been phenomenal. 130-plus O rating. Even Adam, one of the five-star freshmen, is super efficient at 132-0 rating and a little bit limited minutes. But you already know what you're getting with guys like Hawkes and Campbell, right? And, and even Singleton to a degree. The guys that are coming in to fill some of the voids from last year, very encouraged by that. I think UCLA is looking at this week, you know, with a ton of focus. You got Maryland on Wednesday, Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday in the Garden. So two big ones on the East Coast for Mick Cronin's bunch. If you're Mick Cronin, you want to make sure you get the first one so you're not going into the second one looking at maybe two losses. So that will get them focused. I do think the Maryland defense did a great job taking away the perimeter against Illinois. Illinois only shot five for 20. And again, I'm looking at that game as probably the most recent similar result. If you're trying to forecast this game, if they can do that again, UCLA is going to really have to rely on the mid range game, which they do quite a bit anyway, but it can help Maryland to create some advantages. On the flip side, when Maryland has the ball, you know, UCLA is a top 15 effective defense. They're going to be locked in and fresh, like I said. So I can see this result going either way just based on, you know, perceived strength of the teams. I give UCLA a slight edge, but this environment should be pretty crazy. So it's almost a coin flip, Greg, in my opinion.
2: Yep, this is going to be such an interesting game, and I think that's going to say a lot about both of these teams are we going to see if Maryland is truly for real or not? I think that they've backed it up quite a few times, and I recognize that they lost in Wisconsin, but very tough on the road to be able to get a win, and UCLA, they're going to be experiencing that as well. If they're able to get this win going from west to east, that is going to say a lot about them. And what says a lot about you is just how much you love the game of college basketball and how you cover all these teams, whether it be a big game like, what we're going to be seeing on Wednesday in the UCLA versus Maryland game, or taking a look at teams like Southern Indiana. You do a great job doing it all, and your coverage of college basketball, it's some of the best out there, and I know that you're going to be doing a great job all season long, traveling to so many different venues, taking a look at games. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've got all on tap.
5: Yeah, thanks, Greg. I appreciate all that. Same to you. I would say follow me on Twitter, at Miller 8 My website, Bracketeer.org. We're going to be cranking out some content soon. I've been uh, trying to do Teams of the Week every week, but with all the polls I'm voting in, I'm actually running out of time on Sunday nights, but I definitely want to start getting those back out there. If anybody's curious, you can ping me anytime. I've already got the awards from the first five weeks teed up. Of course, game coverage, live game coverage, Happened here earlier this week. Thursday night, I will be at Santa Clara for the first time this year as the Anteaters of UC Irvine visit. I'm kind of excited to see the Anteaters. They've won at Oregon. They've done some really nice things throughout the year. Santa Clara is trying to overcome a stunning loss to San Jose State. Should be a pretty good game Thursday night. I'll be covering that one. And then I've got a couple lined up for next week, but I don't think I can announce those yet because travel plans are not 100% confirmed, but uh, just keep following the Twitter account. We'll keep it rolling.
2: Zot, zot for the eaters. That is going to be an incredible game. I love what I'm seeing out of UC Irvine. So that is going to be a fun one in Santa Clara. Very interesting team with Braden Pozmeski, the kid that was playing his high school basketball in Wisconsin, really taking hold for that team as well. So Rocco's going to be in for a good one there. And Always in for a good chat whenever Rocco joins this podcast, he does absolutely amazing work. Taking a look at the great game of college basketball. A big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coastside Sports, now a part of the VC Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday at VC Main Chat.
1: What's up? I'm John Wall, and
2: I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new
3: podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
1: Check out Point Game
3: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. 2025 QX80 coming this summer,
2: and we're back here at Las Vegas for Cuts and Cuts with myself, Craig Up Spears, and now part of the Easton Family Podcast. It is always great to get the bracketeer himself aboard. Rocco Miller does such amazing work in the sphere of college basketball, going to so many places, taking a look at so many of these teams in person. Does a great job with his bracketology. He has so much of a hand to play as to some of these great non-conference games that we get as well. Just an indispensable part of the college basketball world. A big thanks, Rocco, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots.
3: Most financial establishments
2: close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first. Those are merely games involving bigger conference teams and then... Games involving teams from smaller conferences. I'm talking about the America East, the Big South, the MAC, the SWAC, the Southland, the Big South, if I have yet to say the Big South. And I do believe that we have hit all of them that are going to be seen for today. Those are going to be at the bottom. So let's get things started with 631, 632 on the betting board. The Ohio Bobcats are going to be playing against Florida it's not officially a home game for Florida. It's out in the state of Florida, though. So let's just call it what it is. It's pretty much a Florida home game, and Florida's finding themselves anywhere between 12 and 12 and a half point favorites. Your total on this game is between 144 and a half and 146. I've pretty much gotten this as a home game for Florida, and I have them as a 13 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it, and the reason why I bring this up is because they're going to be playing this at. Emily Arena, hopefully I said that correctly, in Tampa, Florida. So not quite Gainesville, but I mean let's call it what it is. It's a home game. You've got Colin Castleton also for this Florida team, and he should be able to win the battle down low. we have been able to give this Florida team 16 points, 7.5 boards, good passer as a big man with nearly three blocks per game. The struggles that we have seen from Florida recently, losing to their last four, they are not due to our good friend Colin Castleton, and he'll be facing off against Dwight Wilson. Double double machine, 12 and a half points. Ten boards, not as much of a shot blocker, though, and we have seen him do a solid job being able to put the biscuit in the basket, but not as much versatility as well. You do have an Ohio team as a whole. They shoot 36% from three. They do a solid job of taking care of the ball right around 12 turnovers per contest as they've got a little bit of a new-look backcourt as... Jalen Hunter has really been a main guy, shooting in the mid-30s from 3-point range, 10.5 points, 4 assists per game, and A.J. Brown has been able to do a solid job as well, 10.5 points per contest out of Brown. He's shooting about 35.5% from 3-point range, so I do like what he's bringing to the table for this team, but we have also got a Florida bunch that has been one of the most efficient on offense in all of college basketball, and a big reason why is because you've got such good facilitation out of Kyle Lofton. About 4 assists to 1.5 turnovers per game, he gives you 8.5 points, per game as well. And then on top of that, Trey Bottom has come in. He's been able to do a nice job, giving you a pair of assists, a steal, 10 points per game, shooting 38% from three. In Florida's hole, they do shoot about 37.5% from the outside, while turning the ball over only about 11 times per game. Florida, right around 90th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got an Ohio team that they rank 273rd. Ohio just has not really been able to get things going on defense. Now, Ohio is a little bit more of a slow-tempo team, but I do think that Will Richards Someone who comes in from Belmont is going to be able to exploit this defense as well. He's coming off of zero burger against UConn prior to that. He had 13-plus points in three out of his last four games, shooting 50% from three-point range. I think that he's going to be able to ignite against an Ohio team that has been a little bit lax on defense. A semi-total at a 145. We're seeing... And between 144 and a half and 146. Personally, with the little bit of a slower tempo of Ohio, I'd be wanting to take the 146 under among the offerings that I've got as I'm doing this. So looking at 146 or greater under. And Florida set them as a 13.5 point favorite. want we'll to lay the 12 with them. 633, 634 on the betting board. Georgia Southern is going to be playing those to Morad State. Morad State between a 4 and 5 point underdog. Your total on scheme is named between 129 and 130. And Morad State set them as only a, a 1.5 point underdog. With Georgia Southern, just have not really been impressed by this team. They're a team that ranks in the bottom 75 nationally. In terms of total possessions per game, they're really looking to slow games down. And they go up against a Morehead State team that hangs their hat on defense. They're not going to be looking to go really guns blazing or anything like that. But now with Morehead State, they've got Jalen Hawkins in the fold, who he missed the beginning part of the season. He's been able to do a solid job giving the team about 10 points per contest while he was at Norfolk State the last two seasons. Was about a 38-39% Three-point shooter has been a little bit banged up throughout the season, so you do want to note that he's been limited in the last few games, but a man that he should be unlimited in this game, that'd be Mark Freeman. Freeman has dealt with a few ailments of his own, which is why you have seen more State struggle a little bit, but for Freeman, two turnovers or fewer in four of the last five games, four plus assists in each of the last three, shooting 42% from three, 12 points per game. He has been solid, and then Alex Gross. Down low, 13 points, 7.5 rebounds, a little bit over a block per game. Very gross for other teams to match up with. Both of these teams, they do have their deficiencies in terms of 3-point shooting percentage. More at State shooting about 30.7% from distance. You've got a Georgia Southern team that they shoot 31% from 3. And this is big. If this is going to be a tight game late, Georgia Southern, they shoot 61.5% at the free throw line. And among their top six scores, you've got one guy in Jalen Finch who shoots above 62% at the charity stripe. And Finch has been solid for the team. 10 points per game, shooting 44% from the outside. But he needs to make up for the fact that you've had a bunch of guys like Caden Archie, Kamari Brown, that just never really developed in this backcourt. These two guys combined for about 17 points per game. They're shooting 20% from three-point range. Down low, you've been able to get seven boards of 10.5 points per game out of Carlos Curry, which you do like to see, but he's incredibly inconsistent. Over his last... Four games, he's had 15, 5, 12, and 2 rebounds in them, so you just don't know what you're able to get out of him. Andre Savrasov has been a solid combo player, 12.5 points, 6.5 boards, but he's only shooting about 20% from three-part range himself, and he's been a little bit banged up. So, yeah, Georgia Southern team that they really don't have... A lot that I like, other than the fact that they do generate about nine steals per game. They don't turn the ball over a whole heck of a lot. But you also do have a Morehead State team that they themselves do a solid job with their on-ball defending. They are going to turn the ball over a little bit more, but they also have a bit more down low as well. So I did set Georgia Southern as one-and-a-half point favorite, so I'm going to take the points with Morehead State. Both of these teams struggle from the outside. Both of these teams play at a slow tempo. I think that you're in for a grimy just sad game on offense 125 and total 125.5, diving under and taking the points with more at state. 635, 636 on the betting board. It is Akron, and they're gonna be playing us a right state. Right state hopes to be the right side as between a six and a, half and a seven and a half point underdog. Total on this game is between one thirty-seven and one thirty-seven half. And with right state, I do think that they're the right side as I set them as a five and a half point underdog for right state. Certainly has been a little bit of an up-and-down team, but you know what to expect out of your main scorer in Trey Kelvin. 17 points, 5 assists per game, 3-point shooting, only about 25%. That's been a little bit of an issue, but that said, he's been able to do a nice job of being the main facilitator on this offense, and he is helped out by a guy that's not going to take any threes, but someone who does a good job of just being able to contribute in a wide variety of ways. That'd be Amari Davis. 13 points, 5 boards, a little bit over a steal per contest. Not shooting it well from three-point range, to say the least, but that's not what he's out there to do because Wright State, they've got someone that shoots 46.5% from three and six-foot-eight combo forward Brandon Noel who's been terrific for this team. Makes 46.5% of his threes, 12 points, a little bit of a steal per game, six half boards. So I like what he's bringing to the table for this team. And for Akron, Enrique Freeman down low has been tremendous. He's been able to give this team 9.5 rebounds, 12.5 points per game. Xavier Casaneda shoots 38% for three, three assists, four boards, 18 points per game. Trendon Ankerson is able to chip in their nine points. He's been shooting it solidly from three-point range at 36.5%, with a double-figure amount of points at each out of the last three games as well. But Akron... They're a very top-heavy team. Craig Trimble has not been what he's been in the past. He's only been able to give the team right around 6 points per contest last season. I was more around 7.5, and, and he was a little bit of a better 3-point shooter with a bit more facilitation, chipping in there more steals. So that's been a little bit of an issue. Akron as well. If you have a late-game fouling situation, they shoot 63.5% at the free-throw line. And other than Enrique Freeman, you've only got one other player, and that would be Casaneda. Give you more than 4.2 rebounds per game, right? States, so should be able to hold up on that end, as you get someone like a Tim Finke going, nine points, five and a half boards, three assists, six foot six combo player that does a nice job of being able to the statutes. I think Wright State is going to be able to do a solid job on glass. Wright State does turn the ball over 13 times per game, but they've got some good frontline scores. They do have a little bit more depth as well, in my opinion, even something like an Andrew Wellich is someone that you're able to look to off the bench. So I did make this line five and a half we'll one and take six or more with Wright State. Wright State, a little bit more of an up-tempo team, You've had an Akron team that's really looking to play at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. We saw this last year, and among your 363 D1 teams thus far this season, Akron, they have been ranking in the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game at 303. So I do think that this gets slowed down 7 by 12 at 137. So at 137.5, looking under to go along with the points. 637, 638 on the betting board. It is South Carolina, and they're on the road facing off against UAB. UAB is between a 16 to a 17-point favorite, and your total on this game, it is between 143.5 and 144.5, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but the Power Conference senior here in South Carolina is probably a little bit overvalued as a 16-point underdog. I said this line at 18. This South Carolina team is really sad, and I mean, it is sad to say that as well, because Gigi Jackson has been tremendous for this South Carolina team. This man is going to be a very highly picked guy, 17 points, 7 boards, shooting 37.5% from three-point range, 18-plus points before the team's last five games, 5-plus rebounds in every one of them. That said, you've got absolutely nothing else for this team. They've been trying to mix a match with someone like a Hayden Brown. He comes in from the Citadel, just undersized as like a 6'5 forward, gives you 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, shooting 30% from three-point range, South Carolina, They shoot 62.5% at the free fly, and I don't think that Paris Lamont, by any stretch of the imagination, is some sort of a terrible coach, just a bad hand that he was dealt. Coming over to South Carolina, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get things online. At South Carolina right now, 246th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and Now they have to go up against a UAB team that they've been one of the most efficient teams both on offense and on defense at all of college basketball. UAB shoots 76% of the free-throw line. You've got Jelly Walker who's been able to contribute 25 points, 4.9 assists, 2 steals per game. UAB as a whole, they generate 9 steals per contest. And for UAB, they had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season on defense. They are now in the top 85 defensively in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And, this is a UAB team that they are willing to run it and gun it us. This team is 12th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, KJ Buffin. Seven boards, seven and a half points per game. You've got the Brewer brothers and Ladarius and Ty both giving you about eight and a half points per game. They combine for eight boards. They shoot in the low 30s from three point range. Trey Jemison down low is able to give you a block, seven rebounds per game. I mean, this UAB team is like Noah's Ark. They've got two of everything. It's absolutely tremendous what they're able to do on that front. I think that they are going to overwhelm a South Carolina backcourt that you really don't have a ton out there. Michi Johnson. Back, He's able to give you four assists per game, shooting about 30% from three-par-range. Also shooting... at the free throw line as well, and I do think that this step up in competition is going to be bad for a South Carolina team that we've already seen lose to Furman on a neutral court by 19. We saw them lose by 20-plus to George Washington. We saw them lose by 20-plus to Colorado State. I think that UAB is going to continue on with that. I did set my total at a 150 just because UAB, they're playing at a blazing pace, and you have seen South Carolina be able to do a little bit of a better job on offense recently, so... Going to be willing to take this all over, and I'm going to lay up to 17.5 with UAB, 639, 640 on the betting board. It is DePaul, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Duquesne. Duquesne is a one-point home favorite in your total on this game. Say between are and 147.5 and 149.5, and with Duquesne, I set them as a one-and-a-half point favorite. I'm not willing to go really up at all from the one, and if this becomes a pick slice slash a money line underdog ordeal. With Duquesne, all the better, but want to lay up to the one with Duquesne? I do think that they weren't being the very, very slight favorite here just because with DePaul, the good news is they're getting a little bit more healthy because they've been dealing with that injury to Caleb Murphy all season long, and he's expected to make his debut sooner rather than later as he's been cleared for a lot of basketball work, but that said, they so are without Nick Ojeda down low and that hurts them because they've really only got one guy that's able to give you more than 5.5 rebounds per game, and that would be Earl Penn. Good versatility here. Comes in from Long Island, 11.5 points, 8 boards, shooting about 30% from 3-point range. For a ball team that they should have well, they shoot 78.5% at the free line, 36.5% from 3-point range. Yvonne Johnson, 2.5 assists, 5 boards, 18 points per game. Umaja Gibson shoots 40% for 3, 92% at the free line, 6 assists, 2.5 steals, 16.5 points per game. But this is a team that is very shallow in terms of their depth, especially with your and I missing the last month or so. He had been one of the better rebounders for the team. You do have Mr. Versatility in Jalen Terry. Doesn't really score a lot, but gives you five points, a few rebounds, a few assists. He's just able to do a little bit of this and that for the team and has been able to chip in their double figures in two out of the last three games. But really the big holdup that you have with DePaul is that this team is not guarding anyone right now as for the Blue Demons, they're 220th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, Duquesne isn't much of one to talk. They're right around 250th with this regard, but I do think that Dada Grant has a chance to be the best scorer out there on the floor. Now, Dada Grant was as cold as an igloo in the last game against New Mexico State. Shot 14% from the floor for 12 points, but that's said, overall for the season. Being able to shoot 45.5% for three-point range, ships in their four rebounds per game, and Duquesne what they've been able to get out of facilitating with Tevin Brewer. Brewer was a primary scorer at Florida International last season. Now, he was limited in the last game against New Mexico State. Had to leave due to an injury, and I do think that that is something that you do want to take note of because he was giving out right around three assists to a turnover per game, but was really taking a little bit of a... Backseat in terms of scoring, but that said, if he's not able to go in this game, and right now I'm sort of figuring him out, you're probably going to be seeing a lot of Jimmy Clark the third, and Jimmy Clark the third in that game. He was able to prove that he's able to draw out the ball a little bit. He's had three plus assists and two out of the last three games, and 16 plus points in each out of the last three games as well. He's been a good primary scorer that's able to dish it for this team. Been able to get Trey Williams down low, giving you five and a half rebounds per game at Austin Rotroff. Eight boards, about seven and a half points per contest. I think that Duquesne gonna be able to do a solid job on the glass. Duquesne They only turn the ball over about 11.5 times per game, and I do think that having the best scorer in this game is going to be big, along with having James Reese now back at the fold for this team. They've been dealing with injuries to RJ Gunn and Kevin Easley all season long, but that said, you do have plenty of guys in terms of the depth of this team, even someone like a Quincy McGriff who's able to give you 5.5 points per game as well. So I do take a look at this spot, and I do like Duquesne as a very, very slight favorite despite their ailments against the polso. Wanna lay the small number. And when it comes to Soto, I did set it at a one forty three and a half. Got a pair of mid-tempo teams. They are relatively inefficient on defense, but I do think that the injuries really on both sides are going to hurt this total just a tad. So, semi total at 143.5, looking under, and want to lay up to one with Duquesne. 641, 642 on the betting board. Wake Forest is going to be playing as Appalachian State. App State is between an 11.5 and a 12-point underdog. Utah's game is named between 141 and 141.5, and with Appalachian State, I did set them as an underdog of 13 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Wake Forest. Wake Forest has been very good in terms of just having that one or two guys at the top of the fold just be able to deliver a whole bunch of production. And this year, it's Tyree Appleby. He's eaten good in the neighborhood. Five and a half assists, 19 points, shooting 44% from three with 3.7 rebounds per contest. This guy has been absolutely tremendous all season long and three turnovers or fewer in each of the last four games for a guy with his usage. That is incredible. Now, should say has had their own Mr. Do It All and Donovan Gregory be saw. It. Twelve points, four boards, four assists, two steals per game, but Appalachia State leaves a little bit of something to be desired for three point range. He should have a whole thirty four and a half percent from distance, But he, along with your other main scorer and Tyree Boykin, who's been able to give you about 11 points per game, they combine to shoot less than 30% from three-point range, that means that you're going to need to get production out of someone like a Tapaji Walker, who's been solid with eight points per game, shooting over 40% from three-point range. CJ Humley has also been able to shoot over 40% from three-point range, and he's been able to give you eight plus points in each out of the last five games, averaging about nine and a half points per contest overall for the season. What I do think is going to be interesting is the tempo battle in this one because you do have a Wake Forest team that they're looking to play at one of the faster paces in all of college basketball. They rank 60th in the country, nearly 75 possessions per game at home. Meanwhile, Appalachian State, they've been one of the slower teams in all of college basketball. They overall are 226th, but they play at a rate of six possessions fewer per game when they're on the road rather than at home. And if you just take a look at the makeup of this team, A lot of the reason why they're actually in the top 225 in terms of possessions per game is just because I believe that they had a double or triple overtime game against NC Central a little bit earlier this year, Dustin Kern. Always looks to slow things down, but what I do think is going to be voting in the favor of Wake Forest, so even if they do slow things down, they are going to be able to cover. It's what you're able to get out of Cameron Hildreth, who has been absolutely tremendous. Six four combo player, 12.6 at boards, 3 in emphasis, had a triple-double a few weeks ago against Hampton, shooting 35% from three-point range. When you throw in there Davion Williamson and what he's been able to do, shooting about 30% from three-point range, but was able to return in that game against LSU after he had been missing a few games a bit earlier this year. I think that that's big. Damari Monsanto shooting 38% for three-point range with his nearly nine points per game. Asikar, six foot 10, five boards, nine and a half points, and being able to pop threes. Just too much versatility for this Appalachian State team to be a matchup with. As a result, I did set Wake Forest as a 13-point favorite, and I do think that... Appalachian State is going to be able to get things slowed down a little bit, and I do think that Wake Forest is doing a better job of being able to bear down on defense just a little bit. Saw that in that game against LSU, so I'm willing to take a look at this total under, and with Wake Forest, I'm willing to lay up to 12.5 with them. 643, 644 on the betting board. Seenal is going to be playing us to Drexel. Drexel is between a 12.5 to a 13-point underdog in your total on this game. It is between 128 and 128.5, seeing a straight 127.5 out there as well, and with this total, I did set it at a 128 and half. so seeing mostly 128, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the total over, and with Drexel, was willing to take 12 or more with them for Seton all. I just don't know if they have enough offense to be able to cover this number. They did a very good job on defense against Rutgers. That was a 45-43 slobber knocker that they were able to get the job done in, and Tyree Samuel has able to do a very solid job. Down low for the Seton all team. 11 points, 7 rebounds, a steal per game. Shooting 40% from 3, but all in all, have the and all team turn the ball over 16 times per game. They shoot 31.5% from 3, 67% at the free throw line. Really outside of Elamir Dawes, who's been solid. 11.5 points per game. Shooting 42.5% from distance. You don't have a lot of guys that you need to fear from the outside. For Dre Davis, good news is he's been able to give the team 10 plus points in each of the last five games. Bad news is he's shooting sub 30% from three point range and has been turning the ball over quite a bit. He's had in combined six turnovers in the last two games. Casey Udefu, he does a solid job being able to box some shots, so that's going to be tough for Drexel. But I do think that Amari Williams is going to be able to, I'm not going to say win the battle down low, but hold his own down low. 15 and a half points, seven points, boards, two steals, two blocks per game. He's able to pop some threes. Drexel, Their shooting numbers are right on par with Seton Hall, shooting about 67.5% the free fly, 31.5% 31.5% from three, but they turn the ball over about 5.5 times fewer. They only turn the ball over 10 times per game. This, is despite the fact that they really don't have anyone that gives you more than 2.5 assists per game. So, I do think that that's pretty impressive with this team. Drexel ranks in the top 130 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. And I mean, Seton Hall, they've been able to do an absolutely amazing job themselves. Top 45 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. I do think that you get just enough. A somewhat like a Lamar Odin Jr. has been able to give you 16 plus points in three out of the last five games, shooting about 33 percent from three as a six foot six combo player. Coltrane Washington has been able to contribute 13 points per contest, shoots 41 percent from three point range. So, even though neither of these teams yesterday have a ton of scoring, I do think that you have just enough. Out of Drexel, and I think that Drexel has a chance to be able to keep this close enough to where you might get a little bit of late game felling. I do think that Drexel, even though they're a very slow and control team, they're going to be able to get a few second chances with Odin and Williams combining for nearly 14 rebounds per game. So, a situation which I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over. I set my total at a 128 and a half. Don't think that, buddy, stretch your imagination. This is going to be a super high-scoring affair, but I'm willing to take this low total over and with Drexel. I'm willing to take anything north of 12 with them. 645, 646 on the betting board. Miami of Ohio is going to be on the road facing off against Cincinnati. We are on to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is on to being a 16.5-point favorite. Seeing a straight 17 out there as well, and your total on this game, it is between 150 and 150.5. I think the total has went up a little bit too high. I did set my total more around a 145. Now, do have a Miami of Ohio team that they leave a lot to be desired because, for one, their coach is Travis Steele, and Travis Steele just has no idea what he's doing. Miami of Ohio, 336th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. I just don't know if Cincinnati's a good enough offense to be able to push this total over. Cincinnati's been playing a little bit more up-double this season, ranking about 100th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and actually playing... With seven more possessions per game at home rather than on the road, which I do think is intriguing and just speaks to the competition that they've been playing at home in general. But that said, I am going to be taking a look at this total under because with Miami of Ohio, you got a bunch that they shoot about 35% from three. The one good thing about Miami is that they can their free throws. Last year, they were in the top five nationally in terms of free throw shooting percentage. They've actually been better this year. Three out of your top four scores are shooting at least 90% of the free-throw line as a well. whole. They shoot 82.5% of the free-throw line with Makai Larry headlining things, 15.5 points, 3.5 assists, the only half per game. Only shoots about 28.5% from three-point range, but Morgan Safford, who's that at the full for the team, he's been able to shoot 40% from the outside. He's been able to give the team 9-plus points in every game since he has returned as well. I just fear what you're going to be able to get down low for this Miami of Ohio team as you right now have one guy that's able to give you more than five rebounds per game that's active and that would be Safford because Julian Lewis has been solid for the team, but he's currently out of the fold for Miami of Ohio as he was delivering about 12 points, five and a half rebounds per game. You get about four and a half boards out of Anderson Mermbeau, who's a 300 pounder down low. And for Cincinnati, certainly going to have more versatility with this offense. You've got, David DeJulius and Landers. Nolly in the backcourt being able to combine for about 32 points per contest. Julius and Nolly both shooting over 40% per three. I think we're going to see some coolage there. You do have a Cincinnati team that they only shoot about 66.5% at the free-throw line. But they do a good job with being able to rebound by committee. Nolly along with Julian Davenport. These two guys have been able to combine for about eight rebounds per game. Davenport he's able to chip in there about nine and a half points per game. Down low, Victor LaKeene has been able to give you about eight boards per game as well, along with a little bit of a block per contest. And you've got guys like an OG Aguamo, who's been able to do a nice job, giving you about five rebounds per game. You've got a guy that I like in Daniels Skillings, six-foot-six combo freshman that's been able to come in, give the team five points, four boards, nice, gritty player, At 13 rebounds in their game against Bryant about a week or so ago as well. So, I do think that Cincinnati has all the goods and has all the versatility. And I just don't know if Miami of Ohio is going to be able to score enough to be able to get this little over. So, I'm going to take a look at this little under with Cincinnati. Made them a 17-point favorite, Miami of Ohio. They really don't have a ton of three-point shooting. And I think that they're going to struggle against the Cincinnati team that I recognize that their defense has left a little bit of something to be desired in recent games. But I do think that they're going to bear down a little bit more. I have faith that Wes Miller is gonna be able to instill some defense in the Cincinnati team. So looking at the under, and I am willing to lay up to 16 and a half here with Cincinnati. 647, 648 on the banging board. So and gold, Stephen F. Austin is on the road facing off against Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech is a five-point favorite, and your turn-ons game is between 148 and 149 and a half. I said Louisiana Tech. As a six-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Stephen F. Austin. They do have such a unique style to prepare for because they try to generate all those turnovers. But the thing for Stephen F. Austin is that they don't protect the ball themselves. 16 turnovers per game just has not been going well for them in general. And they're dealing with a, a bit of an injury to Latrell Jostle. He was able to return in their game against a non-D1 school. It was pretty much a first action they had in a month. He played 14 minutes in that game, but I want to see him against an actual D1 team before I'm really able to say that he's back because with Jostle, he, Nigel Hawkins, along with Cinderian, Hull, all three of these guys have been able to combine for in the neighborhood about 37 and a half points per game and they'll shoot at least 39% per three for 3-4. It. It's even a foster team that they're shooting 42% from three-point range. I think that these numbers should be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt because they have played against a few non-D1 teams like Laterno and Paul Quinn that really heightened up these three-point shooting numbers and a lot of, let's call it what it is, not great perimeter defenses as well. And for Louisiana Tech, certainly this is not the same defense that we saw back when they had the Bartolo Colon of college basketball in Mr. Kenny Lofton last season. But that said, for this Louisiana Tech team, they're still doing a relatively solid job of being able to d up, and especially at home. They're allowing 75.5 points per one hour possession basis at home for Sivadoff Austin. It's all about trying to generate steals because it's if they don't get that steal from there, the defense has a big giant fall off, and I do think the Louisiana Tech, a team that has been turning the ball over 15 and a half times per game, they're gonna have some issues there. But what this Louisiana Tech team also has is pretty much five guys out there on the floor that are able to handle the ball. As Kobe Williams, along Keeson Willis, these are your main two guys. They've been able to combine for eight rebounds, 31 points per game. Williams, two and a half steals, three and a half assists per game, and. Both shooting the mid 30s from three point range, between 35 and 36 percent from distance on both of those gentlemen. Been able to get about seven points per game out of Quandre Bullock as well. He missed a little bit of time this season. He's back in the fold for this Louisiana Tech team now. They have been dealing with an injury throughout much of the campaign for David Green, but he was able to return in that game against Wyoming as well. Had 21 big points last season. Was able to give the team seven points while shooting 34.5 percent from three point range. He's a nice six foot seven, a little bit of a combo player for this team as well. The <laughs> cat and for Steven F. Austin, not necessarily having a ton down low. Hull, who's been able to pull in their six rebounds per game. He is your main guy. That is a little bit of an issue for a team that does have quite a bit of depth. Roddy Ware is able to give you 10 points per game. You've got someone in Nana Atibosico, who's been able to give you nine points, five and a half rebounds per game as well, but with Steven F. Austin, they're going to see regression in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. I think both teams are going to be able to generate their turnovers in this game as well, and I think that that just makes things very sloppy in general. You do have a pair of up-tempo teams, but when you've got a bunch of dead possessions, makes it hard to be able to get an over in this spot. So, semi total 146. I'm looking under. And with Louisiana Tech, willing to lay up to six points with them. 649, 650 on the betting board. Louisiana Monroe is going to be playing us to Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State, between a 12 and 12 and a half point road favorite. And your total on this game, between 128 and 130 And in- Sam Houston State, I was willing to lay up to 10 with them. I think 12 right here is the point of no return just because with this Sam Houston State team, they do have a little bit of a tough time getting things going on offense, and it, it truly is a team which a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Former D2 All American, Quagrant, Grant, has really been the main score for this team 13 points, 2.5 seals, 4.5 assists, 4 rebounds on half percent 3 point shooting, but. That said, you take a look past him and you pretty much have seven different guys, actually eight different guys that average more than five points per game, but no more than 10 points per game. You've got so many of these guys out there like a Dante Powers, who's been able to give you 10 points per contest. You've been able to have someone in Jaden Ray help out in terms of facilitation. Three assists, 38.5% three-point shooting, a little bit over five points per game. Kosi Azugi, who comes in from Kansas State, four and a half boards, five and a half points per game. So I mean, These guys all know their role. They do a nice job generating 11 steals per game, but we've got a Louisiana Monroe team that they themselves get nine steals per game, and I do like this team's backward. Jamari Blackman, Tariq LaCour, they will combine for about 23.2 points, a little bit over seven assists, three and a half steals per game, and Blackman He's able to shoot 41% for three. Now, the top three scorers for this Louisiana Monroe team are shooting below 69% at the free throw line, but you do have Thomas Howell down low. Eight boards, nine points per game. He might actually be the most dominant low post player in this game, along with Victor Bafuto, who's been able to give you about two and a half blocks per game, six and a half rebounds per game. These guys have been able to do a solid job in the post. Louisiana Monroe. Needless to say, they've left a little bit of something to be desired on defense. Meanwhile, you've got a Sam Houston State team that is complete opposite with them. Sam Houston State, you need to see a little bit more from them on the offensive side of things, but they rank 19th nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Weezer well, Monroe, meanwhile, they're 335th, so it's a good old something's got to give matchup. I do think the thing's going to get a little bit more slowed down in this game. I do think that Sam Houston State is going to take hold, but... I think that we went a little bit too low with this total just with the sheer amount of possessions that we're going to get in this game. I was one set semi total at 132, and with Louisiana Monroe being able to haul in balls on the glass. With them going up against a Sam Houston State team that last year they were dead last in all of college basketball and free throw shooting percentage, you're shooting sixty-seven percent this season. You've got some issues if this is like an eight-point game with a minute left and them trying to be able to cover this number. So willing to lay up to down with Sam Houston State, which means I'm taking twelve with Monroe. So my total at one thirty-two. It's also going over six fifty-one, six fifty-two on the betting board. Ole Miss is going to be playing us. to Central Florida. Central Florida is a five to five and a half point underdog in your total on this game, in between 126 and between one twenty-six and one twenty-seven and but Central Florida set them as a 6-point underdog. I'm willing to lay up to 5.5 with Ole Miss and really nothing more. Central Florida has been really good on the defensive end this season. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a team that is in the top 35 nationally. And as a matter of fact, they currently sit here at 15th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And more impressively, on the road, they're allowing fewer than 76 points per 100 possessions. That is the number one mark in all of college basketball. I think a little bit of that has to do with the competition, and a little bit of that has been some good fortune on defense as well. As you do have a Central Florida team that has a guy that I really like, a Taylor Hendrick, six foot nine freshman who's been able to deliver 15 half points, seven half boards, shooting 50 percent from three point range, 16 plus points in four out of the last five games. But you have to go up against an Ole Miss team that they finally have Deshaun Ruffin back in the fold. When Ruffin was out there last season, he was able to generate a little bit over two steals per game in two games thus far this season. 17 total points, five assists to only two turnovers, as you have to be able to bury any threes. But you've got Matthew Murrell, along with Amari Abraham in the backcourt. They've been able to combine for 25 points, five and a half assists, nearly three steals per game. Morrell shooting 35% from three-point range. And then you've got Abraham. He's been able to shoot a little bit over 45% from three-point range. And you've got a glut of guys down low. They are capable rebounders as well. They haven't necessarily had that one guy come out and have a absolutely magnificent performance this season, but when you've got a bunch of guys like a Josh Umbala who's able to come in from Buffalo, he's able to give you right around three rebounds per game. Jamie and Brakefield, nine points, five and a half boards, shoots thirty-seven percent from three-point range. Been able to get six points, four boards out of Robert Allen. You're able to go down the list. That really does help out this Ole Miss team. And for Central Florida, the biggest issue that you have with this team is that you don't know if they're going to be able to take care of the ball. 15 turnovers per game despite the fact that they're a little bit more of a slow and controlled team. And Ole Miss, not a team that's going to go out there running and gunning. Not a team that's necessarily going to play overly slow either. They're right around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but they do play a little bit faster at home. So I do think that's an interesting circumstance. I think that Central Florida is going to be there in terms of their defense. I just don't know if the offense with Ifeo, Horton along CJ Kelly in the backcourt combining for about 19 and a half points per game, shooting about 31 percent from three point range, is going to be able to provide enough firepower to be able to get a cover in this game. So, I did as a result make Ole Miss a six point favorite, willing to lay up to five and a half with them. Set my total at 124. I think that defense is. On both sides are really going to be able to bear down. So looking at the under, and I'm going to lay up to 5.5 with Ole Miss. 653, 654 on the betting board. Arkansas State is going to be playing us to Southeast Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State between a 2.5 and a a 3-point underdog. With your total on this game, 135.5. And And for Arkansas State, I did set them as a 2-point favorite. So here at 2.5 to 3, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Southeast Missouri State. Don't necessarily want them on the money line because I do have fear that Southeast Missouri State, if they are in a relative nip and tuck game, they just don't have enough backcourt play to be able to pull this one out because with Southeast Missouri State, they do have a guy that I like in Israel. Barnes, who has it's in. He's been able to give the team about 15 points. He's been able to chip in their three boards and shoot 39.5% from three. Team as a whole, they do shoot 71.5% at the free line. But that said, for Arkansas State, they now have a nice backcourt duo in Caleb Fields who, along with Malcolm Farrington. And Farrington, since he's come back, he started out the year a little bit banged up. He's been shooting a little bit over 41.5% from three now. Arkansas State as a whole, they only shoot 64% of the free throw line, but Fields and Farrington, they combine to shoot about 74% of the free throw line with Fields, doing out five assists to about two and a half turnovers per game. I like what these guys have been able to do. And then you've got good versatility down low with Omar El-Ashik. He was at the junior college level slash non D1 level last few seasons after beginning his career at Fairfield and has resurfaced the D1 level and looks great. Nine points, seven and a half boards, a little bit over a steal per game. He's able to pop threes, doesn't necessarily do so very effectively, but you've also been able to get about three and a half assists out of Avery Felt, who chips in there a seven and a half points per game, shooting 36% from three point range for Arkansas State and for Southeast Missouri State. One dominant rebounder in Kobe Clark, who is terrific. Comes in from Georgetown. be able to give this team only about 7.5 points, but 9 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals, a block and a half per game. I mean, this guy is a complete and utter set he'd suffer, but he didn't go look past that, and Josh Early is really the only other guy that's able to give you more than 4.5 rebounds per game. He was a little bit banged up to begin the season, but has been able to come off of injury. Looked very good. 9 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, but also with this bunch in Southeast Missouri State, dealing with injuries of their own. Israel Barnes is back at the fold after he was a little bit banged up and has looked good since coming off of injury, especially the 20-plus points that we've seen in each of the last three games. But that's that Aquin Smart. He's dealing with a little bit of an injury. He was able to play in the last game against Missouri, but zero points in 14 minutes and fouled out. He has not looked like himself recently as well. Southeast Missouri State has had some issues on the road. They turned the ball over 15 times per game. Arkansas State, a very slow and controlled team. That is in the bottom 20 nationally in terms of total possession. Per game. Southeast Missouri State, they rank at the top 60 nationally in terms of possessions per game, so it's a good old something's got to give scenario, and I do think that things are going to get slowed down a little bit more, though. I do th- like this a little over merely because I do think that this isn't going to be a game that it comes down to late game fouls, regardless of which team is leading. With about a minute left to go, I think that you get that nice, like, four to six point differential, and teams are starting to hack away, so that's why I do like this a little over, and when you get to a game this tight, sometimes you can get overtime as well. So I would rather take the over on 135 and a half rather than the under, as I set my toe at 136 and with Arkansas State, made them a two-point favorite. I think that they win the game outright, but once again, they've got some issues at the free throw line, which could allow them to not cover this game as well. So I'm willing to take the points with Southeast Missouri State, but not the money line in this ordeal on the road. And I'm gonna be taking a look at this total over. 655, 656 on the betting board, you've got Auburn and Auburn is going to be playing us to Georgia State. Georgia State is between a 20.5 and a 21.5 point underdog, and your total on this game is between 133.5 and 134, and I think Georgia State can hang in this game. I set them as an 18.5 point underdog. I'm going to be looking to take the points. When it comes to Auburn, just a case of which I'm not really fond of this backward. I like what I've seen thus far this season out of Wendell Green. 13.5 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. He's able to shoot about 32% from 3 point range, and when it comes to he and Katie Johnson, they do a nice job at the free-throw line. They both shoot about 81% at the charity stripe. For Johnson, he's been able to chip in their Seal 11 points per game, but Auburn shooting 28.5% for three That should go upward a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be going that far upward. They do a great job down low as you've got G&I Broom along Dylan Cardwell for Auburn combining for nearly six blocks per game. Cardwell is able to give you 5.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, and then Broom he's cleaning up with 8.5 boards, 11 points per game, but I want to see more out of Alan Flanagan. I want to see more out of Zepp Jasper. These guys have been disappointing in the backcourt, and for Georgia State, not a team that's going to go into flamethrower mode for three, either. I mean, they're shooting 25% from three. Once again, I don't think they're a great three point shooting team, but I think they're better than a 25% three point shooting team as well. The problem is, they're going up against an Auburn team that ranks in the top 15 nationally, terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and Georgia State has been able to do a relatively solid job in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for them as well. They're not quite as prevalent as Auburn, but this is a team that they rank at the top one internationally in that respect as well. You've got a Georgia State team as looking to Brendan Tucker to get back to what he was at Charleston last season where he shot 38.5% for three, 11.5 points per game. He's putting up those same 11.5 points per game this season, but he's only been able to shoot about 22% from distance. You've got Dewan Odom, who's been able to give you 16 points, 5.5 boards, 3 assists. Been a nice to suffer for the team, except for he you know, has not been able to make any threes as well. And for Georgia State, are they going to lose the battle down low? Yes, but I don't think they get completely bludgeoned. in this. You've got a gentleman in Edward Namoko, who comes in from Nigeria. He's been able to give you four and a half rebounds per game. And he's been able to give the team six plus boards in four out of the last six games. So he's been able to do a good job there. And then you've also been able to get 11 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds per game out of Jaheem Hudson, who's been able to give you a block and a half per contest. Not necessarily much of a scorer and not a guy that has tons of versatility, but he's able to do a nice job down low. I think that this is going to be a controlled, ugly game, even though Auburn is a little bit more of an up-tempo team. I think that defense is going to be reigning supreme in this game. Semi-total, at a 130 and a half. I'm looking under. And with Auburn, I made them an 18 and a half point favorite, so 19 or more is my buy point on Georgia State. 8, 657, 658 on the betting board. South Dakota is going to be playing us to Coastal Carolina. These Chanticleers of Coast of Carolina are between a 1 and, one and 1.5 point underdog. And your total on this game is between 140 and 141.5 and with Coastal Carolina. I made them the 1.5 point road favorite. It is a tough road trip having to go from Myrtle Beach up to South Dakota this time of year, but I'm going to be willing to take Coastal Carolina on the money line. Last time these two teams played... Coastal Carolina was able to get a win on their home floor, which means that it's a revenge spot, but that also means that Coastal Carolina... A team that's had their struggles this year. They're going to be hungry, sitting in there saying, you know what? We've knocked these guys off once before. Let's do it once again. And I do think that that mentality is going to be able to take hold in this one as you've got a South Dakota team that has A.J. Plieswitt along with Paul Bruns being able to combine for about 23 points per game. With Plieswit. he's shot 50% from three for a South Dakota team that's shooting 37% from the outside, South Dakota though, they're in the bottom seventy-five nationally in terms of possessions per game, and they are turning the ball over a little bit over thirteen times for contest. That has been a little bit of an issue for them. And for South Dakota, what else has been an issue? Their defense has fallen completely off the table. Three hundred and twenty-sixth nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it just gets worse at home. At home, they are actually a bottom-20 team in terms of defensive efficiency. You do have Devonnie Hayes down low. He's been able to give you about 5.6 rebounds per game and Tussles six 10.6 boards, shooting 39.5% from three-point range, but... On the flip side for Coast Carolina, Isa Mustafa is going to be able to control things down though. 13 points, 10.5 rebounds, block per game. You've got a Coast Carolina team only shooting about 30% from three, but your top two uh, scoring guards, and Javari U. Brown along with Linton Brown. They've been able to combine to shoot about 37.5% for three-point range with Brown. He's been able to deliver 12 points per game, shooting 39.5% for the outside. Brown, he's able to chip in their 2.3 steals, 16.5 points, three assists per contest, and then Henry Abram, who he was playing at Eastern Illinois last season. Nice that she'd suffer. A little bit over his steal, five and a half points, three boards, five assists. He's been able to do an absolutely tremendous job in terms of facilitating for a Coastal Carolina team that they themselves turned the ball for 14 times per game, but they're able to generate 8.5 steals per contests as well. And then you've also got help down low in Wilfred Lakai who has been able to give you about 7 points 7 rebounds, shooting 37.5% for 3 point range, 8 plus points in each of the last 4 games. On to him as well. I do think the Coast of Carolina has more depth than a South Dakota team that they've been dealing with a little bit of injury throughout the season. With them as well, you would like to see out there on the floor of someone like a Keaton Crutcher who has been missing the last few games. And when he has been out there, he's been relatively ineffective. So a circumstance in which I did make Coast Carolina the very slight favorite. I'm willing to take them as a money line underdog in terms of the subtle, I did make my total a 133.5. Coastal Carolina's not really been running it and gutting it. They've had a tough time taking care of the ball. For South Dakota, I recognize that their defense has been relatively inefficient, but at the same time, there's also a South Dakota team that they themselves turned the ball over 13 times per game, and I think that Coastal Carolina is going to hold them to a bunch of one-and-done possessions. So looking at Coastal Carolina on the money line to go along with this total, under 659, 660 on the betting board. Oregon is going to be playing UC Riverside. UC Riverside is a 14-14.5-point to 14 and underdog with your total between 130. 7.5 and 138. And with Oregon, I set them as a 12-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points. We've already seen them lose on their own floor to a Big West opponent once this year. I don't know if Lightning is necessarily going to be striking twice in this circumstance, but that said, I'm going to be willing to take the points with UC Riverside. UC Riverside has done a very solid job of just having Zion Pullen be the main guy for the team as Pullen Gives out right around 5 assists per contest. He shoots in the high 30s from 3-point range. He is the top scorer on the team with 19.5 points per game. And for Oregon, Will Richardson seems to be getting online a little bit more, but it's been a bit pedestrian this season. Shooting 34% from 3, he has shot at least 38.8% from the outside each of the past 3 seasons. He's giving out more assists than ever before with 5.8 assists per game, but turnovers were at 2.5 or less each of the last 3 seasons. Those are up to 3.6 this season with three plus turnovers in four out of the last six games. So that's a bit of an issue for you. For Oregon, they're still dealing with a bunch of injuries. Nate Biddle's going to be out of the fold. you are still going to have Jermaine Kuznard out, which means that in Dante and Quincy Garrier they're really going to need to get to work for Garriott. 11.5 points, 4.5 points, 6.8 combo player that's currently shooting 38.5% from three-point range, and he has been on one with 12 plus points in each out of the last four games, and then in Infolio Dante. Love what I've seen out of him. 13 and a half points, six boards, right around 1.3 blocks per game, and he's been able to do a very solid job down low for the team as well, but I do think that you see Riverside, though, they're not going to win the battle down low. No offense or bust about it. They've got a freshman forward, though, in Lachlan, Obreich, who I like what he's been able to do. Ten and a half points, five boards. Not a guy that's going to step out there and shoot a bunch of threes, but has been pretty consistent down low for the team all season long. Phil and Cameron, as a bit of a six foot seven combo player who came in from DePaul a few seasons ago. Three assists, six boards, eleven points. He shoots about forty percent from three-point range for a bunch of. They shoot about thirty-four percent from three. They turn the ball over 12 times per game. And with this Riverside team, they've traditionally been a very slow and controlled team. They're about a mid-tempo team thus far this year. Meanwhile, Oregon, they do rank at the bottom 75 in terms of possessions per game. So, I do think that that's interesting. And I do think that that actually allows for Riverside to be able to hold in this game a little bit more as well. Because they are used to playing a little bit more of a slow style, which is what they did last season. Some like uh, Jalen Martinez being out of the fold does hurt the team a little bit. 6'11 big man that had been hauling in there right around five rebounds per game. But Jamal Hartwell, who came in from George Mason, has been able to do a nice job giving the team a little bit of a spark, shooting 36% from three, six points per game. And with Oregon having so many big men that are down right now, despite the fact that they do have Khalil Ware along with Dante, I do think that Riverside is going to be a hold in a game that's going to be rather slow and controlled. I set my total at a 132. I'm diving under. And with Oregon, could only make them a 12-point favorite. So long to take two touchdowns here with UC Riverside. Now we have the DK Nation pick, 661, 662 on the betting board. Western Kentuckys on their own facing off against Louisville. Yep, you know where we're going here. Louisville's between a a 7.5 to an 8.00 dog. Your total on this game is between 133.5 and and 134.5. The old saying goes, don't mess with a profit. Louisville is 0-9 against the spread. Louisville is 0-9 straight up, and I think it goes 0-10. Western Kentucky is a team that I said as a 12-point favorite. I have been four points lower on Louisville than bookmakers have all year long. It continues that with Western Kentucky, they've got Giant of the Earth Jamirian Sharp, who's going to be able to take hold of this game. Man, stands seven foot five. Be able to give this team at six points, 6.3 rebounds, and 4.8 blocks per game. It's absolutely insane. You've got a Western Kentucky team that's shooting 43.5% from three point range. Are we probably going to see a little bit of Coolidge when it comes to the end of the season on them? Yes, but at the same time, you've got a Louisville team that at this point, it's just really sad and pathetic with them. They rank in the bottom 35 nationally, turns points scored on a per-possession basis, and I like what LL has been able to do. 15.5 points, he gives you a 3.5 assist, shooting 30% from 3, which sadly for Louisville, 30% from 3-point range is Good for them, but he you has know, a spear a a Louisville team that they rank 274th nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're even more grody in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, I mean, for this Louisville team. They have scored 62 points or fewer in each of their last five games. It's just really sad to take a look at. It. Meanwhile, Western Kentucky, they have allowed 66 points or fewer in each other last five games. Western Kentucky has a guy in Davion McKnight who fills every section of the stat sheet. 5.5 assists, 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, two steals per game, coming off of a 32-point performance against Wright State. He was Mr. Wright in that game. Emmanuel Aycott, Luke Frampton, they combine for 25 points. They're combining to shoot over 50% from three-point range. Jarius Hamilton, six rebounds, 9.5 points per game. And then for Louisville, you've got Brendan Huntley hatfield who's able to give you six rebounds per game. He tries to shoot threes. It's not going well for him as a team. Louisville shooting 28.8% from three And Louisville. Not an up-tempo team. Turning the ball over 17 times per game. LL has 4.9 turnovers per game. That leads all of college basketball. You've got no help around him. It is just a really sad state of affairs for Louisville until we see a quantum move on Louisville numbers you just can't back this team at this point. DK Nation pick. I know it sounds simple, but once again, Louisville 0 9 against the spread. We haven't seen much of a move from where they were the last time against Florida State. It's going to be on Western Kentucky on the spread. I'm willing to lay up to 11.5 with Western Kentucky, so even if this moves from the point of broadcast from like 8 to 9, something like that, I'll still be on them. And I'm also taking a look at the total under. Western Kentucky is probably one of your better defensive teams at all of college basketball, and Louisville sinks on offense. At my 128. So diving under TKH right up. That is going to be on Western Kentucky. 663, 664 on the betting board. UCLA. It's a road face-off against Maryland. Maryland is a one to one and a half point favorite. Total on this game is anywhere between 140 and a half and 141. And I did say Maryland has a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I think that this is a prime spot where home court advantage is really going to be reigning supreme because I think on a neutral court UCLA is honestly a little bit of a better team, especially without versatile. Jalen Clark has been, Jalen Clark has been terrific. 15.6 boards, 2.3 steals per game, shooting 45.5% per three for a UCLA team that they only turn the ball for 10 times per game in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. One of the better teams in all of college basketball. Each other top four scores have been able to generate at least 1.1 steals per game, as well with Jaime Yacquez being tremendous. 17.5 points, 5.5 boards, steal that per game as well. And what I think is really big in this game is that you've got a Maryland team that I think is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass, Adam Bona has been able to give you four rebounds per game down low for the CCLA team, but they don't necessarily have supreme size. And with Maryland, they're a team that they're a little bit more scrappy. They play a bit of positionless basketball with Dante Scott and James Reese being your main two big men. They've been able to give you a combined 14 rebounds, 26 points per game. And Scott, Sable pop threes at about a 32.5% clip. Maryland overall, they're shooting 31.1% from three. They're not a great three-point shooting team, but I honestly do think that they're a little bit better than that. But Jameer Young who comes in from Charlotte. He's been amazing for this team. He Gives you a seal, 15.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game, so he's done a great job on that front. You've been able to get a little bit more recently as well out of Don Carey. Carey was ice cold in that game against Tennessee, but that said, he last season at Georgetown was able to give you 9 points per game, shooting 36.5% from 3-point range. I think he's going to be able to heat up a little bit at Keem Hart, being able to give you 5 boards, 12.5 points per game, and it's been really the guy that's been able to sizzle from 3-point range to north of 40%. That's big. And then Tiger Campbell on the flip side for UC UCLA being able to dole out 5 assists per game. That's been big as well, but I do take a look at both of these teams. Both of these are mid-tempo teams. UCLA is a little bit better than average in terms of tempo, in terms of quickness. Maryland is a little bit slower than that, but both of these seem solid on defense. Maryland, 32nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. UCLA, 30th, so very comparable there, but I do think that you're going to see Maryland be able to take hold on their home court in a game, which I do think that's going to be a little bit more ugly as well. I think that there's going to be a bunch of dry possessions, set my total at 135.5, diving under, and willing to lay up to two with Maryland, made them a 2.5 point favorite, 665, 666 on the betting board, Nevada is going to be playing FC UC San Diego, UC San Diego is between a 14 to a 15 point underdog, your tallest game is saying between 134.5 and, and 135, and with Nevada, set them as a 13.5 point favorite, I think we've went a little bit too far here, because I do think that Bryce Pope is going to be able to keep this team within arm's reach. I set my line at 13 and a half, so we'll only take 14 or more with the Tritons. And the big thing for Bryce Pope has been the way that he just goes into takeover mode on offense. He is averaging right in the neighborhood about 20 points per contest. Not a guy that is going to go out there and is going to go into flamethrower mode from three, shooting about 30% from distance, but chips in there, seal per game, just does a nice job going to the cup. He's been able to give the team 20-plus points in three of the last four games, and he's been able to get a little bit more down low with Francis and Worke and Emmanuel Shaminga combining for about 13 and a half rebounds per game. For the Worke, got off to a little bit of a slow start to the season. He's been able to pick up a little bit of steam ever since then, as he's been able to give the team five plus rebounds in each of the last five games, and has also rolled out three plus assists in each of the last two games as well. What you'd like to see a little bit more of from this team is Chase Romor, someone who I really like. Last season, he was able to contribute. Three assists, six and a half points per game. Really took the pressure off of everyone. Down to five and a half points, two and a half boards, two and a half assists per game this season. Still doing an okay job of facilitating, but you need that to be able to help out J. Ron Brooks, who's been able to give you 10 points, six rebounds per game for a UC San Diego team. Only shooting 28% for three. Nevada has been a very good defense all season long, and I've been pleasantly surprised by what they've been able to get on a six foot six combo freshman, Darion Williams, as it was actually Trey Pettigrew, who was looked at as the more prevalent freshman for the scene, but he's been able to come in, give the team seven and a half points. 6.5 boards, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. It's scoring has fallen off the table just a little bit, but still, has helped out a Nevada team that has been looking to play a little bit more slowly this season. Among your 363 D1 teams, Nevada is currently ranked 230 in the country in terms of possessions per game. That's not really what you'd expect out of Steve Alford. Meanwhile, San Diego team that they rank outside the top 300 in terms of possessions per game, so they're really looking to throttle down. Meanwhile, Nevada, also a team that ranks in top 90 nationally in terms of a lot on a per-possession basis, and they do have a go-to guy in terms of facilitation and a go-to guy for scoring. The go-to scorcher, Lucas, 17 points per game, making 41% of his series coming in from Oregon State. And the Keenan Blackshear, Mr. Do-It-All, right around 6'4", 13.5 points, 5.5 boards, 5.5 assists, a little bit over a per game. Got a Nevada team that they shoot 35.5% from three-point range and done a nice job taking care of the ball. Only about 10.5 turnovers per game, but I do think that UC San Diego going to be able to do a solid job on the glass, which will keep them alive in this game. We'll only take two touchdowns or more with this UC San Diego team. And I do think that it's going to be a little bit rough on offensive added has been very good on defense. San Diego, they do a nice job being able to slow their games down, so semi total at 130 and a half, diving under, and we'll take 14 or more with the Triton. 667, 668 on the banking board. St. Mary's is going to be playing us to New Mexico State. New Mexico State is between a 12 to a 12.5 point underdog. Open up at 14, and your total on this game are between one thirty and one thirty one and a half. half. I like the opener a little bit more, but I'm willing to take 12 or more with New Mexico State. New Mexico State dealing with a lot with the shooting that happened off the court and everything like that with Mr. Mike Peek, but that said, they've been able to do a nice job of overcoming it. They were able to get a cover against Santa Clara after that happened with a lot of guys suspended. Now that a lot of those guys are no longer suspended and they're back out there, they go on the road and they win outright against Duquesne, a good win for them. Now, they do have to go up against a St. Mary's team that ranks in the top three nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. A St. Mary's team that they always play at a slow and controlled style, and they're just really efficient. For St. Mary's, they get eight steals per game, they shoot 37.5% for three-point range, but also if this is close to the spread, St. Mary's is shooting just 64% at the free throw line, you do have Aiden Mahaney along with Alex Dussas combining for about 27 points per game. And you see, guys, shoot, they combined about 43% from three point range. Mitchell Saxon, down low has been able to give you eight and a half rebounds, seal 13 points per game, along with the blocking after contest as well. Kyle Bowen, six and a half boards, she's 45% from three point range. So many good pieces for this team, but about New Mexico State. They've got a guy, and I'm not even kidding here, by the name of Dr. Bradley. who's able to give you six points, three boards. The doctor is ordering, ordering up a little bit more to Shirondre Washington as well. Shirondre Washington along Xavier Pinson combining for 27 points. Washington gives you eight boards. These two guys combine for three steals, 10.5 assists per game. Washington is shooting 43% from three-point range and then Issa Muhammad said a nice job. 12 points, four and a half boards. He's shooting 75% from three-point range. We should see a little bit of Far off there, but Kyle Fyatt who has seen more minutes with the suspension that was given to Mike Peak? He's been able to take those minutes and run with them. He's, over the last three games, given the team a combined 36 points in these last three games, three steals in that time span as well. I like what I'm seeing there. St. Mary's certainly does a great job with their defense. They should be able to turn over New Mexico State a little bit, but New Mexico State they do a nice job doing out the ball. They themselves are turning the ball over 13 times for contest. A little bit of an issue there, but I do think New Mexico State is going to do a nice job hitting the glass. I do think that a of teams that are by committee are sort of going to be clones of each other. St. Mary's a little bit of a better form than New Mexico State. Not a better, good enough form to be able to cover this big of a number. I'm willing to take 12 or more with New Mexico State. Did somebody toll at 131.5 as well. New Mexico State seems to be playing a little bit more up-tempo this season, and I do think that that is going to allow them to be able to cover this number. So, going to be taking a look at the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over as well. 669, 670 is the last game on the normal. Las Vegas spending more before we hit the extra games. And it it's USC playing against the Long Beach State. Long Beach State is a underdog of 10.5 to 11 points. Your total is between 144.5 and, and 145.5. And, and with USC, can only make them an 8-point favorite. So being without Vincent Iuchuku is a big issue for this USC team. And now they have to go up against the Long Beach State bunch. And it's a little bit improved on defense. They're about a league average defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Much better than where they have been in recent seasons. And you've got both of the trailers. That are functioning for the team and Abadur Trayer along with Lucina Trayer. These guys have been absolutely tremendous down low for Long Beach State. A combined 15 and a half rebounds and about 17 and a half points per game. With Abadur Trier, he's able to give you a little bit over a steal per contest. And both of these guys, not versatile in that they're just not able to shoot threes. But you've got Joel Murray, La Mercacionis in the backcourt, combining for 27 points per game. Murray's been able to chip in their four and a half assists per game. And for Long Beach State, they've been having a really tough time shooting it, shooting about 60.5%, the free throw line, 29.5% from per three. They're not a great shooting team, but I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit. And they go up against a USC team that they themselves have their shooting, whoa, shooting 30 and a half percent for three sixty nine and a half percent the charity stripe it's been all about drew peterson great name 14 points, 7.5 boards, 6 assists, shooting 35.5% from 3-point range. Boogie Ellis is shooting 36.5% from the outside, 15 points, half per game out of him as well. And been able to get some good shot blocking out of, Ron enough, the former Long Beach State gentleman in Josh Morgan, 3.5 blocks per contest, 9.6 rebounds per game, but you don't necessarily have a ton of depth when it comes to this USC team. Been able to get about 4 boards, 7.5 points per game out of Kobe Johnson, Comes in from the great state of Wisconsin. He's shooting in the mid-30s for three-point range. But past that, USC may leave a little bit of something to be desired on that front. I do think the Long Beach 8 is going to be able to do a good job down the line. I do think that this is going to be a lower-scoring game. USC, a mid-tempo team. Long Beach 8 has been playing a little bit more up-tempo. But that said, both of these teams, they've got their tendencies in turning the ball over. And I do think the Long Beach 8, in the end, they're going to be able to claw out a cover and keep this game within single digits. So, we'll take 9 Or more with Long Beach Shake. Going to be taking a look at the points with a subtle set line at a 136.5. so also diving under. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306.601, 306.602. Albany is going to be playing us to Long Island. Long Island between a a 7.5 to an 8.0 underdog. Turn on this game between 145 and 146. I have not wanted to back Albany too much this season, but I'm going to do it here. I am willing to lay up to 9.5 with them, and we've seen the 8 come down to 7.5 as well, so going to be willing to lay with Albany in this circumstance. Got a Long Island team that they had to change their coach during the summertime as they decided that they were going to be hiring on Rod Strickland, who you may remember from the NBA, and just not going well for this Long Island team. They rank in the bottom 35 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They actually shoot about 34% from three, as you've been able to have someone in Marco Meletic come in, shoot about 38.5% from the outside, 15 points per game, and then been able to get six boards, 12 points out of Jacob Johnson, who he was at UMKC last season as part time sir. Chips in their seal per game, shooting 40% from three point range, but really don't have a lot down low. For the team, other than Johnson, along with Keon Burns, to be able to give you nine and a half points, six rebounds per game, you've really only got one other player that gives you more than four rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Albany. Been a little bit gross for them as well, but Jonathan Beagle should be able to win the battle down though. Seven and a half rebounds per game, and Gerald Drumgoulet has been doing very good work in the backcourt. Two assists, fourteen and a half points per game, shooting thirty eight half percent from three point range. Albany they do turn the ball over twelve times per game, but they do get some help in the backcourt from Daquan Davis, who's been able to shoot in the mid thirties from three point range. He's been able to contribute about 8.5 points per game. It's been a little bit cold recently, but I think that he's going to get out back online. And Aaron Ruddish is someone that has been able to come back after he was a little bit banged up to begin the season and shot 37 percent from three as a six foot seven combo player. Albany I think wins the battle down low and with Long Island they run the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball now. They're also going up against an Albany team that is one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, as it's an Albany team that they rank in the bottom 100 with that regard. So a circumstance in which I did set my total at a half. I'm diving under. And when it comes to Albany, one's was willing to lay up to 9 with them. As we go to 306-603, 306-604, you've got VCU playing against Radford. Radford is an underdog of between 10 and 10.5 points. So your total is between 133 and 134.5. I could only set VCU as a six-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Radford. We've seen Radford cover already against a pair of Big East schools in Marquette and Notre Dame. And, Radford team has been playing a little bit more up tempo this season. It's been a little bit disappointing as to what well, you've been able to get out of one of the most highly touted freshmen in all of college basketball a few seasons ago, Brian Antoine. But even with him struggling, it still has been a Radford team which the whole is greater than some of its parts approach. Has done a nice job of carrying themselves. You've been able to get about 12 and a half points per game out of Keon Giles as. For Radford, behind Giles, you've also got a pair of guys in Josiah Jeffers and Daquan Smith. Maybe they will combine for about 22 points per game. Jeffers is leading the way with five assists per contest. Both guys shoot about 35% from three-point range. Antoine, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, and a half 9.5 points per game. Shaquan Jules said a good job giving you 6.5 rebounds per game. And then, you got a nice size with 6.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game out of Medal Niang. Niang comes in from Florida Atlantic. And they will help out in the post. And on the flip side for VCU, they've got Ace Baldwin back in the fold, and that is absolutely massive because Ace Baldwin really is the heart and soul of this team, averaging 15 points, 6 assists, 3.8 steals per game, shooting 50 percent from 3 for a VCU team that as a whole is only shooting about 29.5% from 3-point range. Brandon Johns has come in, has been able to give the team about 5.5 rebounds, 11 points per game. Jaden Deloach down low is able to give you between about 5.5 to 6 rebounds per game as well, but it's a VCU team that... They really lack a lot of pizzazz. They've got a lot of guys that they're able to give you about 20 minutes. They do an okay job being able to give you a little bit of production, but I was expecting a little bit more of the Hartford transfer. And David Trivery's come in, giving the team five points, seeing sub-30% from three-point range. Something like a Jaden Nunn has been impressive. He and Jameer Watkins have been able to combine for about 19 points, eight rebounds, three assists per game, and both guys are able to combine for about three seals per game as well. VCU, they're going to generate those 10 seals per game. Radford, it been a team that has been turning the ball over a little bit more than you'd like to see. But Radford also has been able to kick it up with their offense, 74-plus points in each out of their last three games. I do think that they're going to get more into their defensive ways, VCU. Incredible on defense incredibly inefficient on offense as well. So, a circumstance in which I did set my total at 130, diving under, and with VCU, make them a six-point favorite. So, taking the points with Radford. 3 of 6, 605, 3 of 6, 606. You've got Charleston, and they are going to be playing against Stetson. The Hatchers of Stetson are an underdog of 15 to 15.5 points. So, this game is aimed between 146 and 147.5. Very interesting game because Got a Stetson team that plays at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball, and they're incredibly efficient on offense. They do a nice job being able to light it up, and then when it comes to the defensive side of things, they're leaving quite a bit of something to be desired. As Seton, three hundred fifty third in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they go up against the Charleston team that, if you take a look, ever since Pat Kelsey took over the program, they're a top ten team in the country in terms of being able to create second chances, getting offensive rebounds. So. I think that that is going to be an interesting battle because I just don't think that Setson is going to be able to hold up on the glass. For Setson, you've been able to get nice production out of Luke Brown. He's been able to give you 12 points. He shoots from three-point range, 48.5% for distance, but eight points are fewer in each of the last four games. You figured that there was going to be a little bit of regression, and instead of a little bit of regression, there has been a whole lot of regression. Now, they go up against a Charleston team that is relatively average in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Nothing great, nothing terrible on that front, but I do think that for Charleston and just having nine guys that are all able to produce for this team. It's very good. Charleston has won the non-D1 route for a lot of these guys and they all average, except for really one of these guys, at least 7 points per game. You have only one guy that averages more than 4.7 rebounds per game, but pretty much all but one guy averages more than 3.3 rebounds per game. Ryan Larson is really the fulcrum of the Charleston team giving you about 43.5% 3-point shooting, 3.5 assists, 1.3 steals, 11.5 points per game, and right now your top scorer shooting 90% at the free throw line, Dal- Dalton Bolin has been able to do a nice job of being able to help this team out with 12 and a half points per game. But Rain Smith has been a nice shooter, being able to shoot 36.5% for three, 96% at the free throw line. You're just able to go down the list with all of these guys for Charleston. And then you've got Mabadou DeWoria, who's trying to hold up on the. Uh, Glass for Setson, who's only been able to give you about five rebounds per game. you have been able to get some nice facilitation out of Stefan Swenson along Sincere Harrison. These two guys have been able to combine for about eight and a half assists per game. Swenson ships in their ten and a half points per game. Both of these guys shoot 33% from three. And for Setson, they turn the ball for ten times per game. They shoot 38% from three point range. That should be able to keep them a little bit prevalent in this game. And that should be a lot out with the scoring because you've got a Charleston team that they do play quite a bit up tempo. They're quite efficient on offense with how many offensive rebounds they get. So I did by total at a 147, so here at the 146, willing to go over Boa Charleston. Can I make them a 12-point favorite? I do think that they're going to be able to win this game, and I do think that they're going to dominate on the glass, but I do think that Setson hits enough shots to be able to hang in this game. So willing to take 15-plus here, with Setson and I'm gonna be taking a look at this total. over 306-607-306-608. Jackson State gonna be playing against Mississippi State. This is from Mississippi Coliseum. So officially a neutral court game. And with Mississippi State, they are a 20 and a half to a 22-point favorite. And your total on this game, you're going to be finding it at a 131 and F. And with Jackson State, set them as a 23 point underdog. I've just been thoroughly impressed by what we've been seeing out of this Mississippi State program. They're one of the best defenses in all of college basketball, and they just really suck the life out of you when it comes to being able to generate turnovers. 11.2 steals per game. They only shoot about 31% from three-point range, but Mississippi State themselves only turns the ball over 11 times per game when you're able to generate all those turnovers. That's big. And now they've got Deshaun Davis back in the full. He missed three games. Not a guy that's going to light it up from three-point range, but he helps give out a little bit of facilitation with a little bit over two assists per game, nine points per contest for a Mississippi State team that they really hang their hat down low with to Smith, 16 and a half points. Nine and a half boards block per game out of him. DJ turned it up. Jeffries is able to give you five and a half rebounds per game as well. And take a look at the flip side for Jackson State. They do have a little bit of a tough time holding on to the ball. Mo Williams has done great work with this program. But 17 turnovers per game makes this a very bad matchup. You've got Gabe Watson who comes in from Southern Miss. He's been able to give the team when he's been out there nine points per game. But it has been a little bit banged up as he had to play in December. He figures to miss this game as well. With means that you're going to be relying upon Ken Evans Jr. Along with Trace Young. To really help out this offense, they combine for 11 rebounds, 25 and a half points per game. Evans is able to give you 1.8 steals, 3.5 assists per game. And both guys shoot 33% from three, but Jackson State also shoots 64.5% at the free-flying. you got a Mississippi State team that leaves a little bit of something to be desired on offense, but you still have someone like his Shaquille Moore. He's able to team up very well with Cameron Matthews for a little bit over 15 points per game. Both of these guys have been cold from three, but both of these guys also combine for a little bit over four steals and four and a half assists per game as well. You just have depth upon depth. Will your Jr., nice big man for Mississippi State. Should be able to dominate a Jackson State team that you really don't have a lot down low, aside from Romeo Mansell, the big man from Long Beach State who's able to give you six rebounds per game. So I do think the Mississippi State is going to get this game on their terms. I did set the total at a 131.5. Here at the 131.5 exactly I'd be waiting to see if this takes upward or downward. You do have a Texas State team that does rank in the top 55 in terms of total possessions per game. We were seeing a little bit earlier a 131. I'd be willing to take that over, but I said here at the 131 half, waiting for a line move 132 or higher to the under 131 or lower to the over. But Jackson State set them as a 23 and a half point underdog, so one to lay up to 23 with Mississippi State 306 609 306 610. You've got Norfolk State, and they're going to be playing us Bowling Green. Bowling Green between a four and a half to a five point underdog, and your total is between 145 and 145 and a half. With Bowling Green, I did set them as a four and a half point dog. So seeing the five, I'm going to be willing to take five. You know, at least the five to be able to dive in here. But I'm willing to take that five and... With this Norfolk State team, you've got a squad that's really faced off against some great competition to begin the season. You have to play against Houston. I recognize that Old Dominion, not necessarily Monsters of Midway, but have to take on Baylor as well, and they've been able to get through it with Chris Bankson, shooting 71.5% from the floor during the 2018-19 season while he was at Little Rock, actually, but all D1 college basketball. In terms of field goal shooting percentage among qualifying players, 13 points, 7 boards, and a block and a seal for him. That's far this season, then. You've got a pair of guys into Dana Tate along Christian Ings. Then last season, both shot above 40% for three. Ings has been able to duplicate that. Four assists, 1.3 seals, 11 points per game, shooting 39% for three. Tate is down to 29% three-point shooting. It's been a little bit banged up. Been able to get some good production out of Joe Bryant Jr. 14 points per game. And then Keeam Brown has been able to come in. He's up to 12.5 points per game. Brown and Bryant Jr., and shoot about 34% from 3 point range but with Bowling Green I do think that they're going to be able to remain live in this game because they bring in Leon Ayers the 3rd who he's been breathing a breath of fresh airs into this team. 16 points 5 boards shoots about 31% from 3 point range but that said he's done a nice job being able to generate steals 8 steals in the last 4 games. He doles out a little bit over 2 assists per game as well and he's got a little bit of help in the backcourt as he's been able to get a double figure amount of points and really more like 4 assists per game out of Samari Curtis, Curtis once again a lackluster three point shooter, and Bowling Green as a well. whole they shoot about thirty percent for three. But for Bowling Green, they're an up tempo team that they turn the ball over fewer than twelve times per game. That bodes very well for them. And you've got Ronald Ag, coupled with Chandler Turner, combining for thirteen rebounds per game. Ag has been able to contribute a little bit over ten and a half points per game and a bit more than a block per contest. Sam Towns low, right around 4.7 rebounds per game, so I do think that Bowling Green is going to be able to do a nice job down low Norfolk State. They've got a little bit more three-point shooting that I think is going to be coming to the forefront now that they're playing against. In call it, it is a little bit of easier competition, but with Bowling Green willing to take at least five with them, we've got a Norfolk State team that they're more of a mid-tempo team. Bowling Green, they have never been shy about running it and gunning it. They were really one of the top teams in terms of total possessions per game last season. they slowed down a little bit this season, but they're still in the top 80 with that. regard. So, I did something my total at 146.5 looking over. I'm willing to take five or more with Bowling Green. six 306, 306.612. Northern Kentucky is going to be playing us to Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky between a 5.5 five and a half point underdog. So, this game is between 134.5 and, and 136. And it's a good old something's got to give game. Northern Kentucky ranks in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of possessions per game. Eastern Kentucky year in and year out. They're a team that they love to run it. They love to play super-duper up-tempo. They're playing a tad bit more slowly this season, but they're also 288th nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, while still being a team that, in terms of total possessions, they rank 70th in the country as themselves. I did set my total at a 138.5. I'm willing to go over, and a big reason why is that I do think that the Northern Kentucky backcourt is going to be able to have a nice little field day. You had Marcus Warwick. He had back-to-back 30-plus-point games. Now, Part of that was due to the fact that you had Northern Kentucky playing back-to-back double overtime games as well, so that's going to be able to help out with the scoring But for Warwick. He's right now giving the team 20.5 20 points, 2.5 boards, 2.5 assists, shooting over 40% from three-point range. He has been a sizzler for the team all season long and has some nice help in the backcourt. Sam Vincent along Trayvon Faulkner, but able to combine for about 19.5 points per game. Vincent is able to give you two steals per game. Was out of the fold a little bit towards the beginning part of the season, but is back and has been able to give the team a combined 10 steals in his last five games out there on the court. And then you do have the most dominant rebounder in this game in Chris Brandon on the side of Northern Kentucky. Only about six points per game, but gives you ten and a half rebounds per game. The problem that you've got with Northern Kentucky is that he's the only guy on the roster that gives you more than 3.8 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Isaiah Cozart, the Western Kentucky transfer, has been able to give this Eastern Kentucky team seven and a half points, six six and a half boards per game. Not a guy that's going to shoot from three-point range, but also contributes a little bit over a block per game. You've been able to get 15 and a half points, 3 assists, 5.5 boards out of Devontae Blanton. Blanton shoots 42% per three. And all in all, got an Eastern Kentucky team that they shoot 36.5% per three. Now, they also shoot 64.5% at the free throw line, but have Cooper Rob chipping in their 2 assists per game. And really, for Eastern Kentucky, each of your top four scorers all contribute more than 2 assists per game. They've been able to do a nice job being able to combine also for 5.5 steals per game. Between those top four scores as well. So you like to see that with Michael Moreno shooting 42% per three. 13 points, six boards, two assists per game. So you've got a lot of ability there. Eastern Kentucky, I do think it's going to be able to stay live in this game because with Northern Kentucky, you don't necessarily have a ton down low for this Northern Kentucky team. Northern Kentucky, they're lacking quite a bit on offense. Aside from their games that went to double overtime, and if you take a look at them in regulation, they would not have broken 70 points in either of those games. They really have not been able to get to 70 points ever since they played against a non-D1 team a little bit earlier in the season and really that's the only time that they have been able to do so but I think that Eastern Kentucky might be the team to be able to help out with that. They're coming off of a 140-79 to win against a non-D1 school and have allowed 75 plus points in each other's last four D1 games so a circumstance where I did set this total at 138.5. I do think that we get some scoring and with Northern Kentucky you can only set them as a 4.5 point favorite as I do think that Eastern Kentucky going to do a good job down low. Won't we'll take the points with Eastern Kentucky and this total over. 3 6 13, 6, 14. East Tennessee State. They're going to be playing us to Queens. Queens NC is between a 2-2-2.5 two, two, two point underdog. In your total, it's between 143.5 and 144. And with Queens, I set them as a 3-point favorite. I'm willing to take Queens as a money line underdog. As they always say with Lady Gaga, just be Queens and with this Queens NC team, a little bit of a new look bunch from what they were when they were a D2 powerhouse in which, I mean, that was just absolutely incredible what they did last season, being able to win 30 games. Bart Lundy as a result, He goes from being at Queens Ed C to being at UW-Milwaukee. But you take a look at this Queens bunch, and they've really been able to bear down with Kenny Dye being the main scorer for this team. 18 points, 4 assists, 4 boards, shooting 41% from 3-point range. And he's been able to go into flamethrower mode recently. 61 points. Over the last three contests. And they go up against an East Tennessee State team that, I mean, they've been okay being able to put the biscuit in the basket. You've got a pair of guys in Jordan King along with Jamal Haynes. They've been able to combine for about 27 points per game. Haynes is able to give you five and a half boards. King, 4.3 rebounds per game. But they both shoot 25% per three. In Eastern Tennessee State, they shoot a 29% from three-point range. as a whole 65% in the free line. They're a lower-tempo team with 14 and a half turnovers per contest as well. And, East Tennessee State last season was one of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball. They're a little bit better this year, but it's once again not a case in which... They're doing a supreme job on defense. 165th nationally turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Queens they rank about 185th, but with Queens they've actually been a very prevalent offense, and they should be able to do a nice job down low against an East Tennessee State team that they do have Jaden Seymour being able to give you eight points, seven point one rebounds per game, and then been able to get about six and a half boards, nine points per contest out of Josh Taylor as well. Taylor, someone that came in after last season, he was at Georgia, but for Queens down low you've got Gavin Rains who is reigning it in with ten and a half rebounds per game. You should be able to win that battle, Queens, overall. Shooting 34.5% from three-point range. They themselves do turn the ball over 15 times per game, but they also have great depth with someone like a B.J. McLaren, who began his career at UNC Asheville, giving you 8.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. You've been able to get just under 7.5 rebounds and 10.5 points per game out of Jaden Turner. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but has been able to give the team 8-plus rebounds in three of the last four games. Just so many different options with this Queens-NC team, and I do think that they're going to go on the road and knock off East Tennessee State. And I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job in a mid-tempo game of being able to get some points up on the board, but at the same time, holding up on the glass, holding East Tennessee State to a lot of one-and-done opportunities as well. my total at a 141, diving under and taking Queens-NC as a money-line underdog as I set them as a three-point favorite. 306 615, 306 616. You've got Minnesota and the state with the smallest drinks in the union. Plays host to Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff is an underdog of 17 to 17 and a half. Points total on this game is 138 and a half. With Pine Bluff, this is not necessarily an up tempo team and with Minnesota, this has been one of the least efficient offenses they you're going to find at the power conference level. And since all they set my total at 129. I'm diving under. And I do think that Pine Bluff is going to be able to hold in this game as Pine Bluff has one of the most gifted scorers out there on the floor in Sean Doss. Doss this season, 17 points, four boards, seal and per game, shooting 40 and app per separate three-point range, and then you get a seal and a half, four boards, eleven and a half points per game out of Chris Green, who began his career at Cleveland State, mid thirties three point shooter. I like the way that Pine Bluff has been playing in quite a few of these games. We saw them against CCU take them down to the wire. They played a single digit game against Oklahoma, not the world's flashiest team. Pine Bluff, they shoot sixty seven percent of the free throw line, thirty percent from three, with sixteen and after an game, but they generate eight seals per game and they go up against a Minnesota team that their backcourt is not necessarily too great. Minnesota, they're only generating four and a half steals per game. So the turnover woes that we've seen with Pine Bluff, not as prevalent here. Minnesota, they themselves turn the ball over 13 and a half times per game. Just all about Dawson Garcia and Jamison battle at this point for them. They've been able to combine for 25 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, three assists per game with both guys shooting above 32 to 33 percent from three point range. Jalen Cooper does a nice job dishing out six and a half assists per game, but it's a Minnesota team that they shoot 58 percent of the free throw line, 32.5 percent from three point range. They don't necessarily have a lot of depth. They've been relying upon the six half points per game out of Brandon Carrington coming in for this team, but he has now scored five points or fewer in three out of the last four games as well. You really don't have a lot of guys for Minnesota that are capable of shooting, and just due to off season injuries for Minnesota, they just don't have a lot of depth. They could use some like a Parker Fox right now, but him getting injured in the offseason that really limits his team towards Samuels, who comes in from Dartmouth. He's only been able to give you about two points per game. Figured he was going to be a non-factor. That has been the case thus far this season. And for Arkansas Pine Bluff, though they don't necessarily do a great job of dishing out the ball, Kyler Milton does give you four assists. Comes in from Western Kentucky. He's been able to contribute ten points per game and. It's a team that, as a whole, they've been able to do an okay job on the glass with each other. top four scorers, giving this team at least four rebounds per game. So I'm going to be willing to take the points with Arkansas Pine Bluff. A battle-tested team willing to take anything north of 13 with them. And I did set my total at 129. Minnesota, slow team, has had a tough time putting the ball in the basket. Arkansas Pine Bluff, they themselves have had their offensive votes. Looking at the under and the points with Arkansas Pine Bluff. 3 of 6 6, three of six, six 18. You've got Tennessee State playing us to Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern... Between a 7 and 7.5 and point underdog with your total at 146. And with Charleston Southern, I did set them as an underdog of 7.5 points. So I'm willing to lay up to 7 with Tennessee State. Tennessee State spent a little bit all over the place this season. But they bring in a Tennessee Tech. Transfer and uh, Junior Clay has really been able to uplift this offense. He's been able to deliver 16 points per game. Doles out four and a half assists per game. Chips in their four and a half boards while shooting 38% from three. And Tennessee State, they're turning the ball for 12 times per game. That's acceptable. They shoot 34 and a half percent from distance. Zion Griffin the combo player that comes in from UIC. It's been a little bit banged up this season, but 9.5 points, 5 boards on 36%, 3-point shooting Marcus Fitzgerald Jr. Just in the low 30s from distance, but 3.5 assists, 13.5 points per game out of him. You don't necessarily have a ton down low for the Tennessee State team. Not a single guy that averages more than 5 rebounds per game, but it's not like... Yeah, Charleston Southern team is necessarily too great down low either. Tajay Kelly has been able to contribute six and a half rebounds per game. He also gives you eleven half points per game. And to the credit of Charleston Southern, they're down to about 11.9 turnovers per game. They've been turning the ball over a little bit more recently, but they have really been able to address that. Charleston Southern, not a team that's going to be going just ridiculous in terms of their tempo, whether that be to the fast or the slow as among your 363 D1 teams, they rank right around 241st. Tennessee State is a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but not necessarily too much. Chucky Fay is going to need to step up for this Charleston Southern team, right around 6.3 rebounds per game, and you do have Claudel Harris, who has been a very good scorer for Charleston Southern. 17 points, 4.5 boards, 2.5 assists per game, but it's also a Charleston Southern team that shoots just 31% from three-point range. Tennessee State has been okay at being able to guard the arc. They do have their deficiencies on that front, but that said, I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job in this circumstance, and I do think that Dedrick Boyd, who's been a little bit banged up, him returning to the fold, him shooting 33.5% for three, seven points per game, is also going to be able to give this team a nice little boost as well. So, want to lay up to seven with Tennessee State. Did semi-total at a 143.5, you know, at 146. I just don't know if Charleston is going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain in terms of scoring. So looking at the under, and willing to lay up to 7. And we wrap things up with 306, six 620. Lipscomb is going to be playing us at Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech is an underdog of between 10 and 10.5 10 points with your total on this game, between 146.5 and 147. And with Lipscomb, I set them as a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points. With Tennessee Tech, Tennessee Tech has actually been very, very pesky all season long. And with Tennessee Tech, it's been all about what you've been able to get out of Jaden Sabree. Sabree has been absolutely tremendous with giving the team about 11 points, six rebounds per game at six foot seven, shooting 45% from three par inches. Cooled off a little bit more recently. Some points are fewer in three out of the last five games, but he's gotten a little bit of help recently with now having about 12 points per game out of Brent Thompson. Thompson comes in from the non-D1 level. He's been shooting 42% from three-point range, 13-plus points in three of the team's last five games. And for Tennessee Tech, it's a team that has a hole. They shoot 36% from the outside. They do turn the ball over 14.5 times per game as a bit more of an up-tempo team. But Ty Perry has come in a with Ed Oliver as transfers. A combined 19 points out of them. And for Perry, he's able to give you 2.5 assists per game. Shoots over 42% from three-point range. You've been able to get, well, four rebounds, five points per game out of Daniel Ramsey as well, and then for Lipscomb. They just have not been able to get a lot out of Hassan Asadula. He's been really good for the team with 14 plus points per game each of the last three seasons thus far this season. He's been Mr. All once again, but that's on eight points, five and a half boards, three assists per game. He's still been able to give you a little bit of a block per game for a Lipscomb bunch. They're shooting 34.5% from three-point range. Jacob Onyasevich is way down in terms of his three-point shooting percentage. as Last year, he shot 46% from the outside. He's still giving you 18 points per game, but he's the only with a little bit of an injury. The last game against Alabama and I'm um he was out of the fold for this Lipscomb team. Lipscomb in that game, they lose outright. He seems to be good to go and is able to return in this one, but certainly something that you do want to be monitoring with them. and you've also got Will Pruitt out in the backcourt for Lipscomb as well. 10.5 points out of him, shooting about 55% from three-point range, so figuring that Onyesevich is going to be back in fold, I could still only make Lipscomb a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one to take the points. Tennessee Tech certainly has been leaving a little bit of something to be desired on defense, but Lipscomb Scum team that they're not really looking to push the tempo. They never really have. Been a super duper up tempo team as they rank right around 182nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So I do think that we get more of a mid 140 total in this one. I did set my total at a 143 and a half, diving under and won't take the double digits. I am seeing with Tennessee Tech, and that will wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast Soup's Coast Now a part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to the bracketeer himself, Rocco Mower, for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Scousers, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we have for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gnet underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters her they mean Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season on this podcast. I mean, i coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, Mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com.